Consequence Podcast Network. My friendship to all of you precludes my involvement with any one of you. But if you want to make love, then I do too. And I'll be right there behind you. Constant listeners, and welcome yet again to the Losers Club, a Stephen King podcast from Consequence of Sound. Well, did you hear that? Hear those horns? It's time for the games to begin. I regular Donald Sutherland over here. I am uh, Randall Richard Dawson Colburn. I am a host, and uh, today we are here to discuss the 1982 Richard Bachman book. Uh, later revealed that the author was Stephen King himself. That's why we're discussing it on this I'm podcast. I'm sorry, what? Yeah, it's a huge revelation. I know you oh. thought we were just going to do a little detour here uh, and talk about this other weird, interesting author, Richard Bachman. But uh, today, <laughs> this is our fourth episode <laughs> on the Richard Bachman books. Um, and it's The Running Man, uh, the, the, the book about Arnold Schwarzenegger. Just <laughs> kidding. Um, so let's all go around and... Kind of introduce ourselves and say, where were we when we first read The Running Man? Who's sitting across from me? Hi, I'm uh, Justin Killian Gerber. <laughs> um, Damien <laughs> Killian. You put, like, no, you put like no effort into that. <laughs> <laughs> well, Justin, I'm the DK killer. Um, uh, Justin Gerber. Randall, where was I when I read The Running Man for the first time? I yeah. was here in Chicago, Illinois, and it was about a week and a half ago. Oh, wow. Uh, now, when I first heard about, when I first saw the movie, I believe I was living in Phoenix, Arizona. Okay. Home Ooh, of wow. um, some great people. And uh, I saw that at a young age. Uh, you know, Sheriff Joe Opeo and the, 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 whole, the crew. <laughs> some, of my, some of my closest friends and, and, and allies. And um, so I grew up on this movie for almost 30 years, and Imagine my surprise when I was about two pages into the book. <laughs> but we'll, we'll save that for later. We'll yeah, because I'm actually curious, just like, what did you think the book would be? Yeah. You know, And we can discuss that later. But, uh, and then who's sitting next to you? Hi, I'm Allison, tall, Juno-esque blonde, wearing iridescent short shorts, which clearly outlined the delta-shaped rise of her pudenda shoemaker. <laughs> wait, wait, wait. <laughs> I'm sorry, I didn't get that. Can you, can you say that one more time? <laughs> yes, I am. <clears throat> Allison, tall, Juno-esque blonde, wearing iridescent short shorts, which clearly outlined the delta-shaped rise of her pudenda, Shoemaker. Oh, that Allison. Yes, yes, of course. Um, It's Irish. It's an Irish name. Um, And I first read The Running Man um, about five days ago, uh, quaking with suppressed rage in a cute little retail store in Chicago's own Rogers Park neighborhood. I just realized, Allison, this will be your third of the four Bachman books that you're reading, that you're that you're covering for this, and the only episode of the Bachman books that you weren't on was the when we covered the, the one really walk. good one, the <laughs> really good one. <laughs> I read it, so I got to experience that's it. Good. Even yeah, yeah, that's to good. Talk about it. Uh, and then who's sitting to my ne- to my left? Oh, this is Mackenzie McCone Gerber. Oh, there we go. That's we're uh, back on track. And uh, yeah, with, I'm with Justin on this one. I only read it, a, you know. Well, I read it about maybe a month ago or so. Mm. Um, and grew up with the film, uh, unfortunately. But uh, no, it's a fun movie. But yeah, that's that's really my first introduction to it, and I was very, very, very surprised at the book uh, versus the film. Um, 
So I'm excited to talk about that. Randall, was it your first time reading this too? Or no, you- I actually read this um, a long time ago. I, 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 I might have talked about this in previous Bachman book episodes. I don't remember. But I actually bought the Bachman books on the New Jersey boardwalk at a bookstore there. Mm. Uh, I was on vacation with my family. And I was a book nerd, so I always wanted wanted more books. And uh, I bought the Bachman books, I remember. And I like read the whole thing. Like, it's amazing how quickly I used to be able to read. I can't do that anymore. Um, but I read all of them pr- almost during that entire trip. Uh, a lot of it I read in the drive home, because the drive home was like 10 hours long or something. But but yeah, I read it. And now I can, can't read like an email on my phone without getting car sick. <laughs> <laughs> like if I'm in the car, we've learned a lot uh, about Randall's child because in the uh, what in the past, you know, your dad wanted to go fishing with you, and yeah. you're like, no, I've got to stay in and I got to read. Well, I sat in the cabana and read books, and then you, you want to go on a family vacation? Sorry, Randall's got to go read uh, yeah. the Bachman books, or I lay on my deck in tan while reading. So, so what you're saying is, if your um, inherent rebellious streak combined with your unexpectedly rugged good looks, <laughs> made made it so that you were going to be on a very popular, say, nightmarish television show, and you were in a fancy hotel room, uh, you would ask for bourbon and books? Yes, oh, and yes. Uh, and don't forget the pudenda. <laughs> and some, but no, you pass the pudenda because oh, you, you're married. You say double the bourbon. You say double, double the bourbon, bourbon and pass the pudenda. And no, and no <laughs> side <laughs> Um, so anyways, I remember reading this on a car ride home from New Jersey, uh, and being, and the thing was, I hadn't seen the movie by that point. So I knew that it was an Arnold Schwarzenegger movie. So I just kept thinking the whole time, like, despite the the way they describe Ben Richards in the story, I still kept picturing him as Arnold Schwarzenegger. <laughs> and I, and I knew that like, uh, Jesse Ventura was in it cause I was really into wrestling. So I was also like trying to figure out who Jesse Ventura was, uh, which it all just ended up being a fruitless affair. But, uh, but I remember at the time thinking it was okay. I, I didn't love it. And I think that's sort of an interesting thing about this book is Stephen King, I'm going to get into the history a little bit. Like Stephen King actually praises, he thinks that this might be the best book out of the Bachman books. Uh, he says, because um, it's nothing but story. He writes in the intro, uh, it moves with the goofy speed of a silent movie and anything which is not story is cheerfully thrown over the side, which is true. Yeah. I mean, like, and that's... And, but is it? Well, I mean, that's the thing is I find, I mean, I find this book very tedious, um, was the word that I kept coming back to as I was reading because I think that it might, I don't know, like it's, it, it feels very erratic. And I think that the, that's probably purposeful to a degree. He wrote, he claims that he wrote this in three days uh, over the course of like 72 hours. And that, he, and he, how did he describe it? He said um, in another piece, he described it as being, um, Written by a young man who was angry, energetic, and infatuated with the art and the craft of writing. So, when did he write this? Uh, at nineteen. Well, it came out in nineteen eighty-two. Yeah. So, was this one of those instances of when he wrote it in the mid seventies or before Carrie? No, like, I think he wrote this like right before it came out. Because wow. I think by that point he had uh, he had you know he pulled like some trunk books out, like Long Walk and mm-hmm. uh, and then um, uh, Rage were like trunk books that he just you know wanted to put out in the world. But I think he actually wrote The Running Man like in the midst of you know his success, and then just didn't feel like it was appropriate to release uh, under. His own name, and of course, this was during his period. Which one? I mean, his uh, his fueled period. Well, he was fueled for that. That, that period it contains multitudes. I think he's like kicking in here. Yeah. Well, if you're seventy two hours, yeah, I think if we you're know a book in he's not hours. drinking. <laughs> but yeah, 
No, I, I, so this, he wrote this then. It wasn't this. This wasn't an old book that he pulled That's out. What, it sounds like he did it right before it came out, actually. Yeah, I don't think this was an old oh, book. That's not okay. from anything I've read. I've not seen that. But uh, hmm. it's been. Um, it's been. Yeah, I couldn't find like a ton about like the release of this book or like King's thoughts on it necessarily. But what was interesting is that uh, thir- it's been thirty years since the movie came out, and the movie takes place in like twenty seventeen, twenty nineteen. Like yeah, those I two the years. Tra- I haven't seen the movie, but I watched the trailer. Oh man! Uh, and it goes in the year twenty seventeen. Yeah, and I just giggled. But it's funny it's because uh, because there's been all these like history, like these are retrospective pieces that came out this year that are basically like Running Man predicted the future, a, a game show host is president. Or like not president, but well, uh, he's our president, but yeah. not in the book, but or the well, story. They make a big in the movie. They make a big deal about the president having an agent, yes, stuff like that. Yeah, yes. Yeah. So it's uh, I, I did find it kind of funny that everybody was writing these pieces. But uh, Stephen D'Souza, who wrote it, also wrote Die Hard, mm-hmm. The Man Himself, kind of defined what '90s action was with a lot of his scripts uh, and '80s. But he, yeah, Stephen D'Souza was a uh, he was very much just kind of like we didn't think we were predicting anything. We thought this was all really absurd, <laughs> <Silly>. <laughs> but um, you know. But yeah. it's it's interesting stuff. So um, so yeah, let's read a synopsis of this thing because it is. If you've just seen the movie, it is not mm. uh, an accurate representation. We have a longer synopsis and we have a shorter one. I'll kick off with the shorter one uh, from this version. The uh, what is this? The uh, Hotter Books edition, Kane Hotter. Oh, absolutely, the Kane Hotter books. He, his his uh, rivals, of course, the England books edition. <laughs> Um, so this is what it says on this, on this collection of the Bachman books, TV's future favorite game show, uh, where contestants are hunted to death in the attempt to win a $1 billion jackpot. Mm-hmm. 1 billion sounds like such an absurd number. It's like, like, you, like you could tell you wrote it in three days. It's like, oh, I'll change that later. Like 1 billion, you know, but that's, just sounds kind of stupid. I feel like even reading it, I feel like the, the reward's much different than that though. It's not a billion in the well, book, is it? Usually the, the rewards are like, like don't make any sense today, but I still think that's a pretty large amount oh, yeah. <laughs> for someone today. A billion, to win. Yeah. It's it's a billion and it's a billion new bucks. Not new bucks. bucks. Oh it's yeah. Really that's right. New dollars. That we that's right. That. There that's are, right. Yeah, Allison, would you like to read your synopsis? Sure. This is from the Pocket Books edition from oh, Simon yeah. and Schuster. Ugh, these covers. Um, <clears throat> here we go. <laughs> Tomorrow at noon, the hunt begins. Remember his face. Ben Richards is a desperate man with no job, no money, no way out, and a young daughter in need of proper medical attention. He must turn to the only possibility of striking it rich in this near-future dystopian America, participating in the ultra-violent TV programming of the government-sanctioned Games Network. Ben soon finds himself selected as a contestant on the biggest and the best that the Games Network has to offer, The Running Man, a no-holds-barred 30-day struggle to stay alive as public enemy number one relentlessly hunted by an elite strike force bent on killing him as quickly as possible in front of an audience all too eager to see that happen. It means a billion dollars in prize money (laughs) if he can live for the next month. No one has ever survived longer than eight days, but desperation can push a person to do things they never thought possible, and Ben Richards is willing to go the distance in this ultimate game of life and death, dot, 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 I, I will say, to the credit of that description for this edition, is much more faithful than the Cujo description. Oh, yeah. <laughs> what was the Cujo description? It was out of control. It was like people were like batting down like the house. Like People are afraid of Cujo all over town. <laughs> it made it out like he's going to go was, attack it, the entire I think town. one of it was like, it was like, it was like the, the most deadly force, uh, force is coming yeah. to you know, <laughs> Castle Rock. <laughs> yeah. 
you know. Basically, I, just stay away from Joe Camber's garage and you'll be fine. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, but that's pretty good, though. That's actually a pretty good description. Yeah, it's an accurate description. Yeah, yeah. it's what? pretty spot on. Um, I'm, it, I would be reasonably interested in that book. Yeah. Reasonably. <laughs> and so it gives um, us... about trimming the fat. That's a, that's a good segue into the hook. Ah. Yes. Don't you see? Don't you see how clear it all is? Not only can you see the future, you can... I can change it. You can change it, exactly. Which I think this that description gives us a good peek into, which is this idea of a... Uh, you know, a world that is run by entertainment where entertainment is also a death sentence and people enjoy watching people die. And it's a very cynical, you know, sort of view of humanity and of government. There's a lot of distrust here. There's a lot of anger here. Uh, King was obviously probably responding to a lot of, you know, what was going on in the world in the 70s. Um, you know, game shows were becoming a lot more popular, but there was also, you know, that sense of distrust in the government post-Vietnam, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, and yeah, so I find... I think that I, I like the central hook a lot. It reminds me of something like a teenager would come up with, like this idea of like some guy on the run and out in the world and these hunters like chasing him down. But, you know, King really does make an effort here to draw a really like he's very interested in not just the game, but the state of the world. And, you know, it's not often that he does dystopian kind of stuff like this, where he's envisioning kind of a, you know, a, a broken world in such a way. You know, he tends to work in his own kind of, you know, uh, vision of what modern America looks like, ten, you know, usually. I feel like in many ways it's a culmination of everything you've read in Rage, The Long Walk, and Real Work. Because I feel like there's elements of three of those books in here. Yeah. For instance, Allison, you read, we, I guess a couple of us read Real Work, right? Yeah. A few of us read Real Work. Mm-hmm. Um, the main character in Real Work is rage-fueled and <laughs> has a problem with the man, the establishment. And obviously that rubs off on the Ben Richards character here. There's obviously the dystopian games element, like you get in The Long Walk. It's a similar, similar thing, I'd mm-hmm. say. And then Rage, obviously, he's... Well, but there's also (laughs) the idea that the decent people are all hiding something nefarious and they're rotten to the core because they're somehow denying sucker to the angry and disenchanted. That's Which isn't necessarily wrong. Although <laughs> it's pretty, it, it is pretty yeah, wrong in rage. Yes. But, um, oh, rage. Well, yeah. that's... God. Yeah. Oh, yeah. But when I started reading this, I definitely felt like, oh, this is like the long walk's future. Like, mm. you know, we're, right now we're at the long walk and soon it's just going to be like, we're watching people being killed on TV for, you know, free. Um, via the old freebie. Freebie. But, um, yeah, I, I, I definitely feel like that that they almost can take place in the same mm-hmm. universe, the Bachman universe, I guess. I do find it interesting, though, that, you know, everybody's struggling, all these poor people are struggling, but the one thing they do all have is these TVs, the freebies, you know, and everyone, like, that's sort of, you know, a way of the government sort of controlling uh, that lower population, which, you know, through entertainment. And I think that does, in a way, that's that's going to have, like, you know, in a, in kind of our modern culture, that kind of metaphor, I think, was never going to lose any traction, like, and it's only going to get more and more potent because those things are inevitably on the rise. And, you know, it's just like how, you know, technology and social media so fundamentally changed our world now that pretty much, you know, any piece of art that kind of uh, doomsays those things a little bit is always going to gain more and more traction as time goes on because people, I think, are always going to be distrustful of it to a degree. And, the you know, people who lived pre you know, uh, internet slash social media versus post are always going to have a mild little distrust of it probably because they lived without it for so long. Just like how people, you know, 
Uh, like when King wrote this, there were still so many people that knew what it was like to not have TV and not have entertainment. So there is a certain amount of distrust with this concept of everybody sitting in front of the TV all the time. And this uh, concept of the government, you know, oh, they're just using that as a means to control us. Yeah, absolutely. I I think it's it's crazy to me reading this. I know we were like, oh, King didn't know what was going to happen in the future, but there's so many people that, or, or just like, you know, when Ben Richards is out there and they're showing the description of him and things and people are just like, buy it. And it's the same thing in the film. They do the same thing where they like, they skew the footage to make it look like, you know, Schwarzenegger, like Richards is killing all these people and really they're not. And people don't question it. They just mm-hmm. get right on board because they want to, they want to, you know, fear this guy and they want to see him die. And I feel like, you know, you could do that today. You could skew whatever footage, throw it out there on Facebook, and people just accept it. Yeah, that's a fake news. It's, fake yeah, news. Yeah, I mean, I mean, that was real. That is, that is the problem. And that to um, me was probably one of the more potent parts of the book was the concept of like when they showed photos of him and his wife. They had doctored them to make them look like drug addicts right, and make right. them look really awful. And people just immediately, you know, you assume that's true because a picture can't lie, right? But we've changed. Uh, you know, society has changed in that way. I just always go back to. Uh, R. Kelly getting away with you know his sexual assault crimes on the Little Man defense, which is mm-hmm. that have you seen the movie Little Man with Marlon Wayans? Uh, you can you can digitally put a person's face onto a baby's body, which is what they must have done with R. Kelly in this video where he's peeing on a child. Uh, That's a Little he, Man defense by a Little Man. Yes, there was a lot of Little Men on that defense team. Uh, so yeah, it's. I think that that concept of fake news was very interesting to me, and that was played up even more in the movie, which I thought was kind of neat. And we'll talk about that later. But yeah, so I guess like, um, did you find there to be like, do you think this concept of going out in the world and uh, having to survive for this, you know, long period of time is that more interesting to you than this concept, like in the movie, of having to go in an arena and fight like gladiator style against all these people? Is there is it more potent and more interesting to watch Ben go out into the world? Is this an interesting sort of hook for you guys? I think for me, the first quarter or so, or maybe even half of this book was I was fairly invested. Yeah, I guess you'd say. Um, but then for me, the concept kind of started to wear thin Mm -hmm. and I saw why maybe the movie plot works a little bit better. Yeah. You know? Yeah. As a, as a constant freebie viewer, (laughs) I think that the idea is really cool. And I like that, the fact that he goes out into the actual world and and everybody's kind of hunting him. Mm. But uh, if I'm sitting there watching running man, which is supposed to be like the best show on freebie, uh, and then we're only getting two clips of him and we don't know where he is half the time. Like how interesting can that show be? And they don't really follow the hunters or anything. So I understand why they changed it for the, to make it a more interesting action movie. Um, but yeah, so I don't really know how it's a, a great show in this universe, <laughs> but uh, I do buy it in the movie though. I understand mm-hmm. why they're watching it. You know, it's more like an American idol kind of, you know, Oh, vote for your next hunter to go after him and all that stuff. But yeah. Yeah, I love that. It's I you know, and there were some really cool action sequences early on. I mean, the I actually had a very visceral reaction to the scene where he was going down in the in the tunnel. Oh yeah. Um and you know, that was covered in slime and everything trying to get away. But you know, there was some good stuff and I I thought it was kind of amusing to hear about some of his costumes that he had to wear. He was like an old priest in one in Remind me of, of that Val Kilmer the Saint movie. Yes. <laughs> like the bad love. Like I'm to put on a fake nose and now look at me. I don't look at Val Kilmer anymore. <laughs> So, um, but you know, I think ultimately though, there is a certain sense of like, 
I don't know. It, it, I guess this book just began to feel really repetitive to me. And mm-hmm. I also never really saw uh, Ben as a very like sympathetic character. Like he just seems like a giant asshole. To and, literally everyone, yeah. including his wife that he loves so much. I yeah. know. And I think that like to a degree that's maybe, you know, he's angry because he's oppressed, you know, and he's very uh, resentful of of people with wealth or, you know, for not sharing their wealth and things like that. Uh, he's clearly, you know, a dem socialist. No, I'm just kidding. He's <laughs> doing political bits. Uh, <laughs> but no, um, he's, I guess like it was very hard for me to rally behind him. And I, and like, and his journey was so nuts and bolts the entire time that I, it, it had a, the whole book has sort of a very cold, sterile feel to it, which, you know, again, I think is intentional to a degree and it does help color the world. But there, you know, when there's, I think the, one of the things I like about King is the, is the level of warmth he's able to add into his books. And there's so little of that here. I think that's a Bachman thing too, though. Yeah. You think about that's most totally of Bachman true. books are pretty light on the, on the warmth. Yeah. yeah. I just, They're chilly. I, um, have never said this before, and I do not expect I will say it again. Um, but I liked this better when it was the Hunger Games. Yeah, um, you know, and I and it's and that's a generalization because, of course, there are certainly di- different circumstances. But there's this whole big swath of like dystopian young adult fiction, and a lot of it is not very good. And mm. even some of that I liked more than this book because, yeah. in that case, there you're they design those protagonists to be certainly complicated and sometimes unlikable, but ultimately sympathetic. And if I'm supposed to find Ben Richards sympathetic, I just don't. Um, And I think that I'm not supposed to because every time he starts to feel empathy for someone, he shuts it down. Mm -hmm. And I maybe was emotionally invested when he was hanging out with Bradley and Stacy and their dying sister and the Mm -hmm. grandma. And that was about it. You should do, Allison, now. Because you haven't seen it. The movie is much more like The Hunger Games. Because <laughs> it's, <laughs> okay. it's televised, it's nonstop, and it's in like a limited area, too. Yeah. So there well, you go. someday. I don't know how empathetic the characters are, sympathetic, but it's uh, definitely more in line with The Hunger Games. Yeah, it's, I, it, it is interesting to make The Hunger Games comparison here. And I, I, I bet that, um, who wrote it again? Suzanne Collins. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I, I don't care for those books. And yeah. I still like cared more. But I think that's, I think she had to have been to some degree probably inspired by Oh, I'm sure. Book. I mean, it's, yeah. there's yeah. similar well, things going directly, on. I think directly inspired by a Japanese novel that it perhaps was inspired by this oh. book. Oh, yeah. interesting. Um, but I mean, part of, so part of what I mean when I make that comparison is one of the things that really bothered me about this is if all they're showing is footage that he's taking or presumably if, like if he were to rewrite this now, presumably there'd also be footage that people were taking on their smartphones and things. Um, then I'm not sure how it isn't in the best interest of the show to sort of purposefully lose him if he keeps doing things like filming his butt for 15 minutes <laughs> and like saying shower. a bunch of random shit and doing these really insouciant, um, rebellious things that would make great TV. Because there's, and I actually really enjoy that little tiny chunk where he's starting to get really saucy with the footage. He's just like reading the Bible for 10 minutes yeah. or whatever. Um, and I feel like. If Killian's whole argument is, oh, well, it's it's great television, you make great television, then I feel like there's this giant sort of overlooked aspect of what great television actually is um, <laughs> yeah. that doesn't make any sense. Yeah. Like why – it doesn't make any sense that they, would, that they wouldn't want him to ultimately hijack a plane and end up somewhere else and then do some other crazy thing because then that would be – 
great, great TV. Exactly. Because yeah. Right. Yeah, the limitations on what he had to do were like not there. He's like, you just have to record for X amount of time every day. But it should be similar. Like you have to be in public recording yourself. Yeah. That should have been one well, of the stipulations. He's even, like sending these things in, and half the time they're just you know skewing it so that you can't hear what he's saying. So it's like, well, then what are we doing here? Like, yeah. how do you he know what he's sending? On, because, yeah. Yeah, it's well, I like, think the what? difference be- probably between Ben and other people that they have on these shows is that I think that for Ben, he has no desire to uh, be famous or anything. He literally just wants to win the money. Whereas I think kind of the vibe I got was that everybody also wants to be on TV in this world. And so people who other people who do this, when they make those videos are probably doing something that glorifies themselves and makes them look, makes them look like a star. So, Maybe that's in that sense, that's like what the good TV is. And he was being rebellious by refusing to do that. And I did find it interesting the way that King worked, uh, you know, sort of, you know, played with technology with how like because, you know, back then there were no smartphones you couldn't or or GoPros. You couldn't just film yourself out there the whole time so that he, you know, he invented this sort of like little mini recorder, this, you know, futuristic thing. But it's so funny because it's like it can only you can only film for 10 minutes or whatever on it. And then you got to mail it like snail mail it. You know, (laughs) it's just like it's funny because he obviously is thinking forward about these like new technologies and the concept that, uh, you know, someday we will be able to record out in the wilderness like with these mini- miniature devices, but at the same time, like it's still couched in so much uh, antiquated technology because that was just, you know, you can't imagine this concept that you could like probably back then it was probably insane to think that you could send like huge swaths of video over the internet or That's whatever. True. Well, and then the internet, like, I mean, I know it, it existed in some weird form for many years, but it's like, I'm sure that was still just the sparkle in some dork's eye. By that uh, point, the, a sparkle in some dork's eye. <laughs> yeah, but uh, yeah. So, so I actually think it's an interesting uh, pivot into structure and format here because King actually kind of touches on the fact that this is a book that really trucks along. And as in terms of how it's structured, he basically breaks it down into 101 chapters, each one saying like you know 100 and counting, like dot dot dot, and then 99 and counting and moving. And I think that that actually benefits the book to some degree because mm-hmm. it does give it a sense of momentum and. You you feel like you're heading somewhere and King is right in the sense that it moves so quickly and it's literally just story and it's action. It's like, what can I do to get to the next point? And there, uh, but the thing is the double-sided sword there is that I do very rarely get a good sense of this character because like you said, Allison, he kind of just shuts down whenever it comes to anything resembling, uh, uh, humanity to a degree. And you feel and like so, you would get like an interior monologue yeah. worth something that would maybe show a little bit more of the humanity, but it never really comes in this. Yeah, there's know? just a lot of like grit, you know, yeah. and it's that, you know, King does a lot of character building through pain. That's something that I've noticed in a lot of his books, characters who are struggling through injuries. And uh, there's a there's a lot of that in this. But again, I but here was one where I didn't really find the pain to be that illuminating. But, you know, he is playing with this concept that he has like a broken ankle, that he he gets shot. He does all these things. And then, you know, in the final moments, he's literally just like bleeding out and like this dying thing crashing this airplane. Yeah, yeah. but until he's bleeding out, those injuries that he gets seem to have absolutely no effect <laughs> on him whatsoever. <laughs> that it's just like, oh, and his arm hurt. But luckily it clotted all by itself. His ankle was broken. But he somehow still walked a really long yeah. way. Like, yeah. I don't, it doesn't, it's... It's strange. true. It's it's like he's a Superman all of a sudden. Like, you forget that like, he was shot in the stomach until, like, 20 chapters later. Yeah. It's like, oh, yeah, I forgot he was shot in the stomach. And that's and, a good point, too. He, he is, like... Uh, 
you know, King says, said in an interview that uh, Ben is like the complete opposite of Arnold Schwarzenegger. And he's described as being like a smaller dude. But like he's. I've got some measurements I'll read later on for both, for <laughs> no, both characters in 1980. So. Because when I started reading the book, like I wasn't paying attention to the age, but I just pictured Richard Dawson as Ben. Wait, Richard as Dawson? Ri- as Richard. Who played the game show host in Total Recall? No, in the movie. No, in the movie. I mean, I mean, in, so you pictured Richard Dawson as as Richards, really? Because I kept reading that that he kept saying he was the complete opposite of Arnold Schwarzenegger, and I and then I just I just had oh. this kind of like schlub guy. I love that the you know, complete like opposite guy. of Arnold Schwarzenegger is, is, yeah. is a sixty year old Richard Dawson. But I mean, like you know, and again, I wasn't really focused on age, but I just figured it was just like this, like you know, it's like semi middle aged guy just kind of not doing much and yeah he's didn't got, have anything special about him he's got that thing where he writes somebody he writes a character and you just it's really hard to not see them as being like 48 49 and then <laughs> yeah. 27 yeah like it's because yeah. that was true with road work too mm-hmm. it's like i'm sorry he's how old he's my age okay. he's just he's right. 55 <laughs> and again you know i listened to the audio version of that and i i thought they were ancient and they were supposed to be like in their 20s or something <laughs> but yeah yeah, and so I love I, work. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm, I'm actually very intrigued just by the concept. What, when we get to the end, whether in in the roadwork rage running man uh, trio, what the Holy ranking is, what what the ranking is of those, that would be very interesting. Uh, can we really quick? T- and I just stepped on Mac there, but can no. we really quick talk about the count thing? Because I think it's bullshit. Okay, yeah, <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You go first, Allison. Okay. Yeah, I at first I was like, this is really cool. I wonder what that's counting down to. Is this going to end up being how many days he makes it? Is this like the number of hours he has left to live? What is it? And then it just ended up being how many chapters there were in the book <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> backwards. <laughs> I was like, what the fuck? At the end, I was trying to make a thing where it was like somehow it was the number of floors in the skyscraper mm. and then that's not right it just oh, like i did I, like it for a different reason because for me i um at first i was enjoying this like, wow these ch- this, these chapters are really moving quick i'm gonna be yeah. done with this book in a day mm. but then i think it was like 40 to 40 minutes and counting or whatever it was i thought god there's still 40 minutes i know <laughs> This and is the, the longest was, yeah, climax like, of all time. I agree. Like it just, and then there was no rhyme or reason to the length of the chapters or no. anything. It's yeah. not like you know, like some chapters were just super long and some were super short. And what was like two hundred twenty-five pages and counting? Yeah, <laughs> two hundred twenty-one pages and counting. If he wrote it in three days, maybe it was like. The number of hours he spent writing, it, like <laughs> yeah, an hour. Yeah. Per the I number of bumps. Know. <laughs> I, I, you know, I, I didn't really mind it. But I was looking because because I was trying to ascribe something to it, like because they kept saying the you know you have to go thirty days, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And so I was I was with you. I was like, oh, maybe this is you know the days, but th- that didn't sync up obviously because there are chap- many chapters like within the same day or the same couple of days. And then I th- I I just towards the end though I was like, okay, we only have you know twenty more you know chapters or twenty more of these left, like. Obviously, there, he's not going this length. You know, he's not. So I, I, I wasn't. I guess I wasn't really trying to figure it out the whole time. But when it, once it, it did, it did have the ticking clock thing for me, where I was like, okay, we he's only got a hundred of these to use, and at, once this is up, like the, his story's over. So I, I, I was interested in that sense, but. But again, I wasn't really trying to figure out what it meant like the whole time. If I was trying to do that, I would have drove myself crazy because it obviously nothing didn't mean a damn thing. It's just counting down the chapters. There was also a disadvantage in that 
because they were counting down the chapters, so I always had a pretty precise sense of how much was left in the book, even if I wasn't paying attention to page numbers. Yeah. And usually, like, I don't pay any attention to that at all. It can say, I can read a book on my Kindle, and it can say, like, 92% left. Mm -hmm. And it just doesn't register as being Mm. important information. And this one, the whole time I was like, oh, well, the book's almost done. So I guess what's going to happen is they're going to an airport. Okay, so he's going to get on a plane... And then he's going to fly the plane to the building, right? And like, it's yeah, just, yeah, and it's the fact that I was made aware of how little time was left that I was like, well, what can he accomplish in this time? I think that's probably what's going to happen. And then it is. Yeah. Um, and I don't think I guessed that because I'm a genius. I think I guessed that because Stephen King conveniently told me exactly how much time was left yeah. in the book. <laughs> and I had to try to figure out what could happen it's in that time. It's very strange. I'm trying format. to think, like, when this came out, were there a lot of, of those incidents that, have, that had happened up until that point? Uh, of planes crashing into buildings. No, that's something else. So, I so, about. so were, were people think, oh, he's just getting away? I mean, we're, I'm sure there were hostage situations where they took planes to different places, but not necessarily took them with the intent to crash into a building. Yeah, I mean, I, I would say I can't think of really any other instances. But now you do that, and yes, I yeah. went immediately there yeah. because as a, as a, you know, as a pre- in the present time, that is not such a crazy thing to happen, unfortunately. Yeah. Well, it's a crazy thing to happen, but it's not yeah, crazy absolutely. to think about yeah. happening. Yeah. Well, it's interesting it's to just... It's not unfathomable. Mac. Right. It's interesting to consider... <laughs> things are coming through here. <laughs> it's interesting to consider the concept that, you know, him doing that in the book is considered a heroic act, you know? Mm-hmm. And then it's so hard to view it that way, obviously, in sort of a post-9-11 world. I know. It's like, you know, the ending has a really queasy quality to it, whereas I think that there's, you know, at least in the book, there is the sense that this is a win for the rebellion, the, rebellion, you know, the revolutionaries, for the Bradleys and the Eltons, like the people who are fighting against uh, mm-hmm. the man, you but know. But isn't that building full of desperately poor people just trying to get enough food for their families? Yeah, exactly. I didn't think yeah. about that until literally this very moment. <laughs> no, I was, I was thinking that it's like too. the old Death Star thing, like people well, are working in the Death Star. That, oh, yeah. They're not necessarily, you know, they just they have oh, to do it. You know what I mean? Come on. Again, <laughs> this is also something where I feel like God, I'm going to be like putting the movie on a pedestal. I never thought I would do that. But the movie, <laughs> the movie, five the movie stars, changes, the movie changes a little bit of that. Like, whereas like if this, if this event happened in the movie, I would be in order to take out the satellite that was so yeah, that they yeah, could, yeah. you know, tell, you know, basically take over the, the satellite control and tell the people that this is what's really going on. Mm-hmm. But that element is also not in the movie. The whole thing where they're lying to everybody and everybody's just like dying slowly because there are no airplanes and everything. In the, in the movie. Yeah. So it's, it's, it's like they, they took it, but they didn't quite change it. Um, but yeah, I agree. It's not as heroic as if, 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 if smashing into that building meant that, you know, there would no, no longer be freebie and everybody would be able to like go to libraries for free. <laughs> sure, but that's just not the case. They're just killing no a bunch of people. For all. No. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> if, if that was really going to be like the one thing that was going to shake the the world, and they the, everybody would be able to be safe again, or, or at least educate themselves, sure. But it's not. I like <laughs> the ending. Yeah, if, if he just flown into the satellite, that would have been a pretty cool ending, Mac. That's actually a good idea. Too but bad. again, in in the book, <laughs> the satellite has nothing to do with it. So I'm saying it would have been a better ending if they if they did that instead of driving and flying. I guess into I just the, like the, the concept of him flying an airplane into outer space to crash into a satellite. It's <laughs> 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 like Moonraker. Yeah, or like um, Iron Man and whatever fucking. Oh, Avengers the Avengers! That's right. He goes into space and um, the, the Chitari. So. <laughs> I think what we're really all I think what we're really aching to do is talk about Ben Richards a little bit. So I think it's time to take a take a step back and um, take a, a grander look at all the zeros and villains. I'm gonna have to kill this fucking clown. What 
Welcome to the Losers Club, asshole! Let's talk about Benjamin Richards. Is he a hero? Absolutely. <laughs> I mean, Ben Richards is described at one point as the uptown apartment dweller's boogeyman, and I think this was Stephen King's chance to make the boogeyman the hero. The Bozeman. Finally make you M- up for this M- boogeyman Bo- that was so upset. Richard M. Bozeman. Um, <laughs> no, I don't think he's a hero, uh, but I do think that his... I, I feel like... I, was, I felt really... In the beginning of this book, I felt really, really sad for this guy. Not because I, I feel like he kind of just was a schlub where he just kind of stopped working because he didn't want to do it anymore. It's what it felt like, kind of. You know, I think the conditions that those people were working under were not; they were hazardous to their health. That's, that's why so many people stopped doing these jobs. Right, right. Yeah, but and like, he wanted to have kids, and yeah, yeah. and then like, but, and like having his wife being sick, and just I, I just remember that that first that ch- first chapter or where not for not the first chapter, not hundred and one counting. But uh, where he's talking to his wife on the phone after he goes to volunteer, yeah, yeah. and she's like turning tricks just to get like food for the night or yeah. something, and he's like, you know, I, you know, like don't do that again. Like we're, we're going to have money coming, and I don't know, it's just like man, this, this is just such a dour situation for these people, and it's just sick and sad. So I really wanted to like him and get on board with like what was going to happen. I'm like, oh, I want him to win and get the money, and and then he just you spend a lot of time with him. Mm-hmm. And you're like, oh, this guy's kind of a jerk. <laughs> like, so, I don't know. I just didn't like him. I have a specific question about that, which is it's a, in this context a less interesting question in the context in which I usually ask it. But when I'm talking to people about Breaking Bad, the first thing I ask them is when they stopped thinking that Walter White was the hero of the show. Yeah. And everybody has a different point. For some people, it's really early. It's like the pilot or an episode or two later. Um, for me, it's got, well, I'm sorry, Breaking Bad spoilers for 30 seconds if you don't want to hear about Breaking Bad, yeah. which ended years ago. But, <laughs> you blew um, it. Uh, it's when he lets Jane die. That was when I stopped thinking yeah. Walt was the hero. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, for a lot of people, it's the um, the flower in the garden when you realize that he poisoned the kid. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think, like, it's there's a similar question that can be asked about Mr. Ben Richards and when you stop thinking, like, well, this is a good guy. Like, mm-hmm. I think I for me, say, there's a difference between like a good guy and a hero. I don't think he's like the villain by any means, but no. I will say um, I was really with him, like you said, Mac, about his family early on. Okay, but for me, I feel like the last forty chapters or so, he rarely mentions his his wife and child. Yeah, and then all of a sudden, it becomes this like vengeful act, like he's just going to try to take down this organization if he can. Yeah. So I felt like the character was lost in that way to me. Now, I, 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 his object, his um, his goals became unclear to me at that point. I'll also just you say know? that along those lines, um, kind of in those last forty chapters, he like we mentioned this earlier, but he literally is like a Superman. Like his injuries yeah. aren't affecting him, and he knows all the right moves to make all the right time. It's not like he had like military training. It's not like he is special in terms of being a great fighter or a great thinker. I mean, he was like a factory worker, right? Yeah. And it's like, but he knows, like, I remember like I was like marveling when I was reading this, just that when he was talking about the whole bomb, like, you know, uh, gambit that he was playing with her purse in his pocket. And he was like describing the bomb, like so perfectly, like he, and he was telling her like all the little, you know, 
uh, the exact look of the bomb. So when they ask her questions that she'll do that and all that, like she would know. And I was just like, well, how do you know this? Like, how do you know all these things? I have a question for everybody. Would this character have been more interesting if he was a former member of the games network? Yeah. Sure. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Just like all they brag about is how these are like the best hunters in the world and Mm -hmm. that they'll 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 they find everyone. No one gets away. Why is this guy special? That's what I never really figured out in this story. Just like how with Amelia, when he, you know, asks her to lie for him. Why does she lie for him? Like, is there something I missed? I think she, she might really be experiencing the hostage thing that this guy's going to kill her. Everything that yeah. she's seen about this guy, sure. the way that they've skewed the footage and whatnot, she probably does believe that. I think uh, what we're supposed to believe okay, yeah. is that he says enough that she begins to question the things she knows to be true. Sure. Right. Um, and can't like in good conscience contribute to his death while she's uncertain. I think because she, when, like when he tells her about the photo being doctored, when he, which of course, because all of the women in this book are either vain and stupid or unattractive and righteous. Um, uh, so of course hearing that like his wife had a doctored photo be the thing that gets through to her or what, or also when she realizes that um, they would absolutely have killed her when they were trying to kill him, um, I think we're supposed to think that she is having something of an awakening, gotcha. but I don't think the book sells that. Right. I, I yeah, that makes, that makes sense. I, I just, and I, I, I think by that point I wasn't, I was kind of flying through the book by that point. I wasn't <laughs> literally, giving, like, I wasn't, like they were flying through the book <laughs> in the air. I wasn't giving my perhaps, you know, undivided attention by that point. So I think I might've. I might have missed a little bit, but that I was just really struggling. I'm like, he's not that charismatic. He's not nice. He's not that sympathetic. And it's, he's like really bullying and bullish. And I mean, I get it. I mean, I understand why he's that way. He's desperate. He's angry. He's mad. But I guess like that was the thing was I, I just like, I found it so unpleasant spending so much time with him and you know, yeah. Yeah. I think he lost me somewhere in between uh, the Pudenda mm-hmm. and like maybe his second racial slur. I know. I was yeah. right about to say yeah. it. There, I, was yeah. a, there was one at the very end. I was like, whoa. <laughs> I st- um, I st- whoa. Just I like, like his first couple instances when he's being interviewed and he's at the complex and stuff and he's like really like condescending to the woman that's like, you know, and at oh, first you're more than condescending. Yeah, yeah. And at first you're like, well, because you don't really, you know, the situation you're like, well, I guess like, are we really supposed to hate these people this much? And then yeah, and then you make some some racial slurs or racial commentary uh, about Achillean and stuff, and you're, and, and and at that point you're still like, okay, well these people are evil, but they keep going, and you're, you're like, nothing justifies that, like well, ever. Some of those you know? people just work there. Yeah, like, oh, I'm that's the thing. Sure yeah, that the woman in the incredibly impractical clothing. Yeah. Didn't think you know what I want to wear to work today. <laughs> I want to wear a yeah. see-through blouse. <laughs> As a silk fishnet blouse, not a thing that exists in reality, by the way, just so we're all clear. Even in 2019 of this book, no, no way. No, no. Um, um, it just... I've got some um, some quotes. Because <laughs> <laughs> I feel like reading, especially in the beginning, he reminded me of like a, a John Carpenter hero or anti-hero. Like yeah, a yeah, snake totally. Tuscan or a... I was thinking more about so that More so the character Napoleon from Soul and Priestie 13, the, yeah. the uh, prisoner. Yeah. Darwin yeah. Joseph. I've got some quotes here I'll read. Um, I'll save the pound cake for later. Yeah, we got, <laughs> Don't worry, everybody. We got we all, as we've talked about a little bit, there's some pound cake. A hearty serving. Um, hey, cop, got a family? Could be you next week. Move on, the cop shouted furiously. 
With a smile, Richards moved on. <laughs> cop, cop asks, you a hard ass, Sonny? Hard enough, Richards said and smiled. The cop gave him back his card. They'll kick it soft again. How smart do you think with holes in your head, Sonny? Just about as smart as you talk with a gun, your leg, and your pants down around your ankles. Richard said, smiling, <laughs> want to try it? <laughs> when, asked if he'd li- we talked about, when asked if he'd like a prostitute as he awaits the start of the game, he replies, no. But you better make that two bottles of bourbon. <laughs> so funny. <laughs> to, to the cat. Oh, good, good, good. Uh, how about, do you know a cop named Charlie Grady? Charlie? The cop looked at him warily. Yeah, I know Charlie. He's got fifth floor duty. Give him this. Richard handed him the, the coupon section. Tell him the extra 50 cents is his usurer's fee. Oh, that's because you let him borrow the phone call money, right? Oh, yeah. and then uh, I've got <laughs> one. What an asshole. I've got, I've got <laughs> one. Picture flicking, it's like Uncle Buck flicking the quarter. Yeah, yeah. I got one from later on. He's, he's talking to the, the reporter. He's like, the reporter's like, Jesus, I smell a Pulitzer Prize. And he's like, no, you just shit your pants. That's all. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that made me laugh so hard. Uh, I got, oh, I got one more when the, when the cabbie's like kind of upset that he can't report Richard's um, whereabouts. And he goes, uh, I'm sorry you can't help kill me. Should I leave a note saying I was here? <laughs> like, just a yeah. smile. Like, and then he doesn't leave a note. The guy's him a, a tip. cab driver. <laughs> yeah, he was like really rude to him when he left. Well, to be fair, the cab driver was saying he wished he could report where he was so he could be killed. Yeah. I feel like... <laughs> hey, that's he, just part of the game, baby. Hey, to me, rules. he was like Bruce Willis in Die Hard 5. Like, nothing could hurt him. Like, he's, he's impenetrable to anything. And he's just like sleepwalking through this thing. And, and then has like one-liners every other minute. Yeah. Well, yeah, and there, I did remind me, and I'm sure that King probably was writing, uh, you know, with an action mindset to a degree. And so he, I, and then, you know, and that's why I think in the Running Man, the movie, like Arnold has so many one liners. Oh, my God. And they're, they're I can't hilarious. Wait to talk about that. I know. And like, but it's so funny oh. because at least it's campy and self aware in that sense. Oh. But I kept just thinking when I was reading this book, like, he talks like an action hero. There's so many one liners. He's so cool. He, it's like he, there's a very Charles Bronson vibe to him here. Like, just like when you were saying this stuff about like he smiles and walks away. Like, just that, that smart ass little smile he's giving. It like, it drives me crazy. Crazy, but uh, so, but let's let's pivot. Let's talk about some of the other characters. There, we don't really see a lot. We don't spend a lot of time with many other people other than uh, Ben. But you know, we get to spend some time with Killian, with uh, Bradley, with Elton. So, like, which of these characters maybe stood out to you, or did you want to spend more time with? I thought Killian was a pretty solid villain. Yeah, like yeah. an interesting villain. Uh, yeah. The bougie man, if you will. <laughs> I've been sitting on that for like twenty minutes, guys. Uh, I think he's a pretty fun villain. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's interesting to watch the person who is obviously the big bad root for his adversary. Yeah, mm. which was kind of a fun touch. Um, I will admit that I didn't see him trying to hire him coming. I probably yeah. should have, but that was an interesting conversation. Um, so I thought, I mean, I thought he was a pretty interesting yeah. character. Yeah, game show host who's a villain with a lot of power. It's ins- it's, ins- it's insane to think about. Oh, God. <laughs> um, but yeah, I did like well, the character Killian, how he kind of comes and goes throughout the whole thing. Yeah. He's just overlord, even though he's just a freaking, you know, well, executive the, of a game show network, essentially. Yeah, I was going to say, in the book, is is he like the host of the show? Or no. Is he, no. He's just like the The, the, the movie's the like a producer. Character. He's like the, the head honcho yeah. of the show. He, yeah, he runs the show. I think Tom Bobby yeah. Thompson he's is the... the Jeff Zucker of the <laughs> games network. Another, another villain, Jeff Zucker. Oh, boy. Um... I actually thought the character of Elton was interesting. Me too. Despite yeah. the fact that King just loves talking about fat people. <laughs> like like there was some well, there was like there's one sentence, it's like it's like Elton ran up the stairs uh and Ben followed. He jiggled. 
He jiggled. Wasn't there just a, a case sentence. where he couldn't even move him from his car seat? Yeah, because he weighed too much. So something fat. like that. Oh, God. But anyways, I thought I actually think Elton's whole arc is so is so short. Like it, gen- it feels like it's just starting, and then suddenly, like then they're after him, and they have to get into a car, and then he gets like punctured by the steering. I car. have more sympathy for that character than I Richard agree. because there's, there's a really nice little moment when when he says, "You know what? They're on to us." Richard says, "You know, they're on to us." Don't worry about me. Protect your mom. Blah 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 blah. Yeah. And he says, um, "No, you may stay as long as you want." Bradley Throckmorton was the best friend I've ever had. The small fault of the bit, the only friend I've ever had. Yeah, it's like, aww, that's sweet. And Bradley, of course, is the yeah the guy that helps him get to to Elton. So yeah, yeah, I like I like Bradley as a character as well. Even mm-hmm. if um, there was a little bit of. I don't know. I mean, King King was kind of at the height of. There's a lot of min, like like he's just not really writing. These black characters talk in such an absurd way. Uh, oh my gosh, yeah. You know, this is a good transition I can make here because um, Mel actually posted a article. Yeah, uh, a well written article by a Stephen King fan, a black Stephen King fan, mm-hmm. about the magical Negro yeah. trope that pops up in a lot of his books. And there's something in there I learned that only one percent of Maine is populated by black people. Wow. So I was thinking, well, this is making a little bit more sense to me with King because yeah. how many people would he, how many black people would he've ever even encountered right. before he was famous? Right. So is that why he writes these characters so poorly? Because he's basing it off of old books or movies he's seen? I wonder. Yeah. Like, yeah, it feels a little bit like he came up with an idea for a character, yeah. um, and I really like Stacy too. So like mm-hmm. two characters, a, sort of a set here, mm. um, and then was like, well, I'm going to make these guys black guys, and yeah. then just changed the way they talked, yeah. um, while still having them be, you know, these characters that he invented, who may or may not have been people of color in his head when he created them. Mm-hmm. Um, because I just I really enjoyed spending time with those characters, but God, did it make me like yeah. clench my teeth? It just, yeah. I mean, no. I'll say if there was if there was any warmth in this book, it was in those scenes, mm-hmm. like with yeah. Bradley and Stacey. Her sister is dying. Cat, mm-hmm. yeah, the little yeah. girl with cancer, and then um, yeah. Grandma with again. I'm sure we'll get there in Pound Cake, but lots of discussions about <laughs> big old lady breasts. <laughs> Va va boom, va va boom. It's really strange, and what's really strange to me is is that he brought all of this talk and speak about that in this futuristic novel, like, which honestly, like, well, you're like, well, this stuff never goes away, you know, it's very much still here. So I guess you know that's not crazy to think that, but but yeah, and and like yeah, like you're saying, like, just he has no, what is he basing it off of, you know? Yeah. But but and, and I will say it, it, most of the characters that do talk about you know black people or, or talk like you know like two Negro women kissing uh, or, or he's like talking or he's like I lost my mum fun nickel and stuff like that it's yeah. like <laughs> those are the moments what, what are you, my what's going on um, it's just Mafa. it's just weird but well, it's but, still yeah, so it, bizarre it to me that sense. like one of our first like like kind of when I I cocked my head when I was reading early on is when he does the word association game oh, with the yeah. doctor and the first thing the doctor says like the first word is doctor and he responds with the n-word I know where are you getting that what dark part of your body is that coming from like that that was just so bizarre to me I j- it's Oh, or what? You, because you have to pin it both on the character and on the writer, yeah. right? Like Stephen King was like, "Yeah, uh-huh. I know what to do here." And but it, I don't ugh. even get what he was going for. I there. have no like, idea. 
Well, it just struck me as he was insulting the doctor, I guess, because he, you know, he was attacking the doctor in some way. But just for that being the word that you go to, it's just so bizarre to me. It's like, how is that supposed to make us endear us to the character? I'm not saying the character needs to be a nice, cuddly guy or whatever. No, 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 no. But like, why, like, you know, a character's, a character like, like spewing racial slurs as insults, like as our hero is, it's just a, it's just a curious choice. Like I, I guess I just, it's a very bizarre way to try to get us, you know, on board with this character. Even mm-hmm. if you're trying to make a badass, like that's not a badass that's, thing no. to do. Yeah, I think this is also this is King's first action story. Yeah, you know, I think he was trying to, to like look how badass this guy is. Like, no, that's not. No, it's not. I don't know like oh, John man. McClane was calling like one of the, oh the Hans' troops like a oh, come on. It's, it's not weird. Like, he even describes Killian. He says that he was that Killian was so black, in fact, that for a moment Richards was struck with unreality. Yeah, that, that was Oh yeah. Yeah, isn't that the same paragraph where he says it looks like he walked out of a minstrel a show? A minstrel show, yeah. yeah. Oh, actually I have, I have the original um well he actually originally wrote here though, so let's see what's better. He actually oh, said boy. um Killian was black, and I mean really, really black. Oh, God. God. He didn't really say that. Oh. <laughs> the thing is, though, I wouldn't have been surprised. No, I wouldn't have either. <laughs> like, they like, stretch it out, like, italics, really. Yeah, my We're thought talking. was, wow, I forgot that part. Not that, like, no, it wasn't just that much a surprise. See, I guess I maybe would have liked, and the thing is, this maybe in a way betrays you know, what King likes about the book, which is the sense that it's so focused, it's very laser pointed, and, you know, it follows Ben, we're we're behind his shoulder throughout the whole thing. But man, I would have loved to like, uh, if this were an ensemble piece, and we got to see, like, McCone's thought process as he was hunting Ben, and there we, like, revisited Bradley, like, after they had parted and saw, like, the government pick him up or whatever, or we spent time with Laughlin, like, the other guy who's, like, mm-hmm. the running man simultaneously, like, what is he doing? Those stories I found all very interesting as well. Like, I was much more interested in what's going through McCone's head or what's going through Laughlin's head or what's going through Bradley's head than I was with Ben. Or I feel like anybody is- watching him on TV. Yeah! The guy who yeah. makes his papers, or Stacy, or I mean, heaven forbid, Sheila, poor Sheila, mm-hmm. just like anyone, if or Mrs. Whoever who lives down the hall, oh, anyone yeah. who Jenner. knows him watching him on TV, would, like that would have been really interesting. To yeah. Me. Well, this is a criticism I've had of, of early King. You know, I feel like sometimes he doesn't know how much of the villain to show. Yeah. Like for instance, we spend way too much time in the sh- with the shop in Firestarter. Yep. But we don't spend enough time. With the hunters here, yeah. so it's it's fine that balance that he was really struggling with, I think, in the seventies and, and eighties. Yeah, and is that a good way to transition to McCone? Because that's yeah. my yeah. biggest problem with McCone. Yeah, that yeah, we don't actually see him be a badass at all. No. Right, we know he's a badass by reputation, and and Ben Richards, Superman, breaks him immediately, and yeah. he's like a sobbing, sniveling wreck on the back of an airplane. And it's like again, like once again, Richards wasn't like some con man who was working the streets. He right. was just some factory worker. Like anyway, not to you know. Diminished. I'm sure there's some terrific con men who are also factory workers out there. Yeah, um, no, I don't want to insult them. Like but, he, he, he operates like somebody who's had a, a life's worth of training in like spy tactics and subterfuge yeah, yeah. and things. Yeah, because I don't wild. care how brilliant you are, and I think we are supposed to believe that he's brilliant. Yeah, there are things here that don't make any sense. Right. How he would know them? Why he would know them? Well, here's the thing. At the end of this book, Killian is approaching Richards to become basically the next McCone, right? Yeah. The next Hunter. The next like. So maybe McComb was just happened to be really good, and maybe he was a running man at some point, and, and didn't have this great spy background. But but he, he but they say that he's supposed to, right? Well, they say he's just no, he's just incredible at his job. I, I don't know. But it's we don't a very know, strange. But again, we character. don't know his backstory or anything like that. And like like I found myself really interested in in him, especially when 
like they're basically he's saying in front of him like oh we're gonna give Richards your job basically you know you're like well what does he think about that and I don't know they I feel like they missed out on on making the book more interesting by following like e- like even Killian or McCone's like like thought process like following mm-hmm. those characters. Yes, I agree, hundred percent. I yeah. kept picturing Philip Seymour Hoffman in whichever Mission Impossible movie he's in. Oh yeah, oh, yeah. One. where Mission like he's yeah. always two ticks away from a giant temper tantrum, but is still really imposing and scary. Yeah, because uh, physically you wouldn't look at him and say, "Oh, this is gonna be some badass film," but no, he's he's great in that movie. Yeah, yeah, I agree. He's also a great villain in Punch Drunk Love. Yeah, absolutely. Also in um, Son of a Woman. He's a little jerk. Oh, yeah, he's a little, he's a little punk. Um, <laughs> what do we think about uh, Amelia as a character? Um, <laughs> <laughs> I will say one thing about Amelia. Even at the very, very end, she was still not 100% on board with Ben Richards. Yeah. It wasn't like she was totally turned over. Even as she's getting throw, thrown out of the plane when the door breaks up, she's still questioning, like, I don't know about this. Who? I don't know about you. <laughs> Blown out the plane, so at least you can do some weird one eighty. Yeah, like two hours, or maybe they like they. I was waiting for them to bang but, or yeah, something. <laughs> Allison, you, Allison, you alluded this earlier. She she just keeps insulting Richard's wife. And, and about how she looks, oh, she, she, she should consider getting surgery she or something really like that. Take better care. Of her yeah, 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 that yeah, little yeah. tramp. But isn't what, what she? Oh, sorry, no. It's just. Um, no, Mac, you make your point. I have a longer point. <laughs> oh, I was just going to say, but isn't isn't what Amelia is seeing the the skewed versions that they're putting yeah. out? It there is, but of? she's still like being really like cruel about it, though. She's also being like held hostage. So yeah, yeah. I... Still, it's weird. It's a weird. Listen, I love Amelia. It's, 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 it's again though. Again, like you're no, you're making kidding. this this character's being held hostage, unsympathetic, much like you're making Richards being um, portrayed as being unsympathetic, and both are being. Unintentionally, yeah. You know, there's a lot of uns going on here. <laughs> yeah, but you know what I mean. I, it's, it's, it's again when you read these characters. Before I read the book, I thought, "Wow, he wrote this in three days." And then when you're done with the book, you're like, "Oh yeah, he wrote, he definitely yeah, wrote, he wrote this in three, three days." days. <laughs> yeah. You have any time to go back over these characters and say, "Well, maybe this beat for this character isn't quite landing." Yeah, and maybe I shouldn't call this doctrine anywhere in the second I know. chapter. Well, he said but, that you know it was pre- he said it was pretty much published you know as it was when he finished uh, it, which I think I is, absolutely believe it. Yeah, you know, I, it feels like it. Got a fucking edit. Yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly. you know what I mean. Like the, he's not the first person to do this, but good lord. Uh, yeah, this very much does feel like an unedited book. But again, he could hide behind the Bachman moniker because he this he wasn't outed yet. That is true. I wonder if this was a Stephen King book, he probably would have done a lot more edits on oh, this. Oh, sure, yeah. sure, you know sure. I mean? So yeah, I, I see what you're saying, Matt. Because as an experiment of just trying to write something in three days and throwing it out there no matter what, I get it. But this is not as a book that... This book is not as good as it should have been, I guess. I want to challenge uh, the people in this room to write a book in three days and see, uh, <laughs> see who comes up with the best book. Well, um, how, how long before like, I have somebody calling somebody the N-word? <laughs> like, chapter 7. Like, I, I had nothing left. I, I finally had nothing left. understand why he does this. I've used all the other words. <laughs> all my imagination was sapped after 15 hours. Yeah, yeah, right. I'm like a YouTube gamer. It just slipped out. <laughs> yeah. oh, it was uh, a heated moment. So about Amelia, um, I keep thinking, man, I guess I should be more invested in her since there are no other female characters with anything resembling development. Like, I have nothing else to latch on to. Every woman in this book is described either by how um, horrendously sexy she is, offensively sexy she is, or... um, Or sick. um, Or uh, beautifully ugly, basically. Like, all of the... With the exception of um, Elton's mother... All of the female characters toward whom we're supposed to feel sympathetic are older or ailing in some way. Um, 
Even even poor Sheila, it's like, well, she was a very plain woman. But yeah. in this moment of standing up to her husband, she seemed to glow with inner beauty or some bullshit like that. Um, well, even said Elton's mother was kind of losing it too at a certain point because yes. something happened to her, yeah. yeah. So, yeah, they're so all... I just, it's, um, it's frustrating. Uh, not all characters have to, I mean, not all books have to be about women. Um, there are certainly lots of books that aren't, um, and some of them are pretty good. But it's uh, frustrating to engage with an author that you really love and stumble across a book like this and have it be so where all of the women are basically props. Yeah. Um, and so then you get to Amelia, and I was like, oh my god, are we actually spending time with a woman now? That's great. And then her actions don't make any sense <laughs> at all. Um, I was still somewhat compelled just because it's it's relatively easy to put yourself in that situation. What would you do if you existed in um, a dystopian future where you were being lied to and weren't aware of it and you end up in this life-threatening situation forced to do these things you would never actually do and as you're doing this, you're being confronted with this other reality? That is an interesting position to be in. Uh, But every time I would start to be like, God, I don't actually know what I would do if this happened to me. Um, I have no idea how I would react. I would get punched right back out of it with sentences like... Richard noticed for the first time how perfect her breasts were beneath the bloodstained black and green blouse. How perfect and how precious. Yes, I was or saving like, that. Fucking, or there's one where it's it, she's running away from the car and her hair is streaming out behind her all goddess-like. I think there's a point when he's fantasizing about her sexually. Yeah. Like, I just... It's not in any way, shape, or form relevant. And I, her character could have been incredibly well-developed, and I would still have a hard time getting invested because it's just it just does such a disservice to the story every time this shit happens. That breast you, comment was so out of nowhere yeah. that I, like, cackled as I was reading yeah, it. I threw that in Pound Cake immediately because it, it did come out of absolutely It nowhere. was only surpassed by, we'll talk about we're it. Not, yeah, yeah, we're, we're not, not going to have a shortage yet, of Pound Cake. Anyway, think, Amelia, yeah. yeah, do you think that... I mean, I know she's not really a well-written uh, female character, but in terms of a um, upper-tier, middle-class, you know, blinded by the freebie, do you think that they do a good job of pulling just someone off the street that just watches freebie and believes? Well, I, I, I that got that. I, yeah. I, I get where the the your everyday citizen would just eventually buy into the society that they've, uh, you know, obviously just grown up in. They right. didn't see any transition. Right. Because I felt like I got that, but when, well, you know. when they first when they first introduced her, I was like, "Oh, this is going to be really interesting." Because we've got Richards, who's just like the lower tier, like you know, on the ground, the groundling mm. or whatever. And then you have now you have this woman, and and seeing them interact was interesting. But the again, the longer we spent time with them, I was just like, "Who are these people? Who, who are these even who people? Are you? Why yeah. why are you doing that?" You know, what, the what most you, interesting <laughs> moment that she has, I think, is when they're on the plane. And he starts writing you the note like, hey, you have to start. We have to make them believe that this is really a bomb. The longer they believe it's a bomb, the longer we're going to be alive. Mm. Please start to freak out, have a pant, whatever. He's, you have to certain you're bugged and he's going to hear you, whatever. And she does that and then she takes it a little bit further. And you can tell that she's kind of telling the truth. And she has that line, maybe I should just jostle you and this can all end right now. I just, I feel like maybe I, that's what I want to do, whatever the exact quote is. Mm. And then McCone comes running out from the back, totally white face, <laughs> and makes her be the stewardess. <laughs> <laughs> um, but that where I was like there, there are so many possible motivations for somebody doing that and it's an interesting choice for a person in this situation to make and if King were more focused on this person and why she's doing the things she's doing I think it could have been a like really compelling final act of the book yeah yeah 
I think this is like long overdue for like a television miniseries remake where we actually follow all these characters and you could drag this out because if it is the 30 day thing, I feel like it would be a good miniseries. Yeah, if you spent time with actual all the other characters, even his wife, you know, there's like so much you could go into there and you know, we just don't see any of it. Um, and obviously, you'd have to change a lot of the dialogue. I mean, you could do like a you could do <laughs> a, like a twenty four style situation where there are twenty two episodes, and it's actually twenty two days, and Mi- it's one minus twenty two and counting. Day. Yeah, <laughs> it counts down instead of counting up. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, any other characters? Uh, we talked to we talked about the baby. The baby. <laughs> well, the baby dies. <laughs> the baby dies. Okay, there we go. That's something I want to talk about. There was a moment of humanity when Richards finds out that his wife and child were dead. Yeah. That's actually a good... Yeah. That's a good moment there. Yeah. We just that. had to wait till the very end of the book. We had to does wait till he, there was two minutes left in counting. Does was. he... When does he decide to smash this plane into the building? Because, I think it's at that point, I after he too. finds out his wife and, and child are dead, They're already in the right? air, right? Yeah. yeah. Because, I, because I had trouble believing that. I was like, well, if... It, this guy really is a jerk. He just he knows he's going to do this, and he's he's bringing Amelia onto the plane and all this stuff. Yeah, yeah I don't like, think wow, he's planning. But he asshole. does. He, he gets her off the plane before he he decides to do that. Obviously, yeah. But I think he decides after he finds out that he's got nothing, literally nothing left to lose. So let me take out this network. Yeah, I think that's, that's what where think that's too. that was going on through. Do his you mind. Um, believe that it's really a random act of violence? Is Killian telling the truth, or did the games network kill them? That's a good or question. are they even really dead? Maybe they're not dead. That's a good question, I, honestly, too. Honestly, I felt like they weren't really dead and that because there was no way for him to know, and they were just doing anything that they felt would drive him to make the decision to join them instead of doing whatever he was going to do. Well, I do. think that, again, I think it would work either way because I think the games network would know if, if they were killed. I think they were monitoring from the very beginning. I mean, people were sure. kind of around them from the very beginning, so mm-hmm. I would not be surprised about that. Um, I like how, once again, you don't trust Killian at all. Mm-hmm. And you have really no yeah. reason to, but he could be telling the truth, but he could I be lying. I sort of think maybe he is. At yeah. first I thought, well, obviously they killed them, and then it occurred to me they might not be dead at all. But then in this world, it is completely reasonable that a random act of violence... I mean, it's obviously a precarious life that these people are living, mm-hmm. yeah. and they're in a dangerous place. And mm-hmm. I was like, well, maybe that's actually more interesting um, if it's just... if life is that fragile, which yeah. it is. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. I also feel like why would he tell him they were dead if he was trying to get him to be? Well, because I think he wanted to be guaranteed that he could still he he could still see his family if he joined the network or whatever, something like that. He's like, that's impossible because we would never allow that. But it doesn't matter because your family's dead. Yeah. So again, there's a bunch of different angles you could take with that. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I'm not sure. I like that ambiguity. Mm-hmm. There, there's some ambiguity there in yeah. this book. There's something that's not just blunt force in your face. Are you guys? Would you say you're ready? I see the lightning cracking in the sky. Uh, are we ready to stumble upon the cemetery? Yes. Let's do it. What's the bottom of the truth? Well, sometimes that is better. The person you put up there ain't the person that comes back. It may look like that person but it ain't that person because whatever lives in the ground beyond that cemetery ain't human at all ah the cemetery gates are now open ah finally we're here we're here uh the the crisp dew of the gla- of the grass the frost <laughs> no, 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 no. We're gonna keep going. Oh, no. Don't do not cut that. We are in the, we're in the frosty we're the, symmetry. That's and, right. uh, <laughs> we are gonna ramble on through there. here. It's like a Robert Frost poem. 
a really, a really bad one. Um, so yeah, cemetery this is where we like to talk about uh, spooky things. What spooked us in this book? Obviously, you can kind of gauge from what we've been saying that we weren't huge fans of The Running Man. But I will say that there were a couple uh, scenes that I found very effective from you know kind of a freaky standpoint. And that's you know there's there's not a lot of horror in this book, but you know, and just the concept of a character, uh, you know, having to outrun certain people and having to do certain things. Like, like I am a very claustrophobic person. So the scene when he went down the pipe was, mm-hmm. yes, uh, to me, kind of really utterly terrifying. Like, I mean, just um, like does read this section, which is it's it's kind of a whole it's a cumulative sort of thing. But uh, this just gives you an example. Like uh, this is one thing that King's very good at is he's very good at the details uh, and getting really deep and nitty gritty into moments like this. So uh, slowly he began to wriggle around uh, until his chest was against the pipe instead of his back. The slime coating acted as a lubricant, helping his movement. It was very bright in the pipe now and getting warmer. The vented cover through prison bar shadows on his struggling face. Once leaning against his chest and belly and groin with his knees bending the right way, he could slip down further, letting his calves and feet slide into the horizontal pipe until he was in the praying position. Still no good. His buttocks were pushing against the solid ceramic facing above the entrance to the horizontal pipe. Like, it's it's just, like, Ugh. the laborious nature of it all and that King really chronicles, like, every small movement and how much every small movement matters and mm-hmm. how one small movement and you will be trapped there. And that is literally, like, my nightmare. The claustrophobia. I get claustrophobic, too. Yeah. Yeah, that, yeah, that, that, that was absolutely. Yeah. That was a very, that was the first thing I put in here was that moment. And it just, yeah, it just reminded me of that, that, like, in the descent when they get stuck in the cave for mm. two seconds and then you just immediately think, okay, I'm done. Like, I'm stuck. And, uh, yeah, just that whole description of just trying to wiggle his way into that horizontal pipe is just terrifying to me. (laughs) Yeah, that section also has a lot of um, unseen rats where he can either hear rats Mm. or feel rats or he's imagining rats. Mm. Um, And that really gave me the heebie-jeebies, too. Yeah, definitely. Um, And then there was one other section that I found uh, really unsettling, and that was one of his dreams. You guys might be with me on this one. But when he envisions uh, Bradley being tortured mm. was a very – and this this idea of pricking his eyeballs oh, with yeah. pins and watching his eyes kind of go dead. Ugh. That to me was Whoa. like – yeah. yeah. Like because I, I think I brought up on our Dance Macabre episode uh, how I hate eye stuff. Yeah. And then the scene in um, – uh, dark half where like it's from one of George Stark's books but this idea of uh, pricking a guy's eyes with pins and stuff and like the fluids that would come out it's Ugh. so gross yeah, it's literally in, uh, so in the pocket books uh, page 210 <laughs> says a pin slid easily into Bradley's mm. eyeball and was withdrawn dribbling colorless fluid uh. and then they, and then he said it looked deflated yeah that uh, oh god that's sick. killing me that's yes. killing me uh. Uh, what do you guys have I've uh, or else you want to go for next? Yeah, I've just got one, um, and it's in the pocketbooks edition. Mm. It's one seventy-seven. Uh, this is when he's at home with Bradley and Stacy, and they're watching TV, and he first sees the like, I don't know, parade of righteousness about all the cops' dead families. Oh yeah, by the way, he blew up a YMCA. <laughs> That wasn't just filled with policemen. Yeah, yeah. And he was only obsessed. Um, oh yeah, I forgot. I killed nine cops and probably a bunch of homeless people. <laughs> like, <laughs> anyway, um, 
Uh, maybe I'll kill them, Richard said in a thoughtful voice. Maybe before I'm done, I'll get up to the 90th floor of that place and, and just hunt the maggots who wrote that. Maybe I'll just kill them all. Don't talk no more, Stacy burst out widely. Don't talk no more about it. In the other room, Cassie slept her drugged, dying sleep. Ugh. And it's the, yeah. it's the, it's the one-two punch of the two kids, where first Stacy, who seems like this really tough little kid, is just really freaked out, understandably. And then um, the reference to this poor girl dying of cancer, just screaming her life away, uh, unless she can get drugged out of her mind, um, mm. I found really, like, it got so, under my skin. Yeah, extending the doom of that character. Mm-hmm. Um, mine is much much more of a visceral thing. It's after he's shot for maybe the 80th time in the book, I guess. <laughs> but <laughs> he's finally being affected by it. It's when his... Um, his um, guts are coming out. Oh, um, yeah. Oh, man, I have that too. There's a couple bits here, but there, I have a couple bits here. Um, it, it, it's written, a loop of gray sausage escaped his fingers, <laughs> and, he, and he pushed it back in. Yeah. It hurt to push it in. It vaguely felt as if he might be shitting himself. Ugh. And a little later on, this, this is the grossest. He screamed as new agony flared. A loop of his intestines had caught under Holloway's chin. He crawled back, freed them, started to crawl again. That's, so that's gross. I've got that's even more. Gross. I've got even more in, intestine talk. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> it was a minus uh, 005. His poor old intestines accordioning out and trailing mm. after him on the floor. <laughs> like, Yikes. That's absurd. Um, oh, and another one here, it says, his guts hanging in ropes around him. Ugh. And then he, and then at that point, he steps on part of himself and Ugh. says something inside pulled. That was when I was finishing the book. I was at home laying on my couch, and um, (laughs) my partner was um, on his computer in his office. And I went, ah! And it was when he stepped on his own and Oh, that, was, that, that did it for me, yeah. It's like, no, uh, and I'm out. Like, he was probably cackling as he wrote that. He's like, this is so gross. <laughs> and Another book. Think, <laughs> yeah. There's a moment, and I think this is just, he's just thinking about it. I don't think it's, it's actually happened at that point, but uh, on page 381 of Pocket Books, he says one, he's talking about the, the crib. He says one ribbed and sliced small body in blood-drenched crib. Mm. And I think he's. I think I don't know if he he's been told or if he's just dreaming or thinking about like you know. I think at this point it's hallucinating. The baby a lot too, though. possibly yeah. being gone. Still. And, ugh, gross. There's some other stuff I wanted to talk about in this section that's more of a satirical or even just more disturbing to think about. But it's the it's the title of the game shows that we're oh, not giving yeah. the full descriptions. Yeah. Um, I got a couple here. Um, there's they talk about treadmill treadmill to bucks quite yeah. a lot. But then there's also fun guns <laughs> and how hot can you take it. Ugh. Run for your guns. A lot of gun-driven stuff here. Yeah. I like that. And then swim the crocodiles. That Ugh. sounds a bit, uh, a bit spooky to me. Yeah. I wouldn't want to swim against any crocodiles or, or alligators. <laughs> Neither. Neither for me. No, sir. Thank you very much. Uh, uh, anybody, any, have anything, anything else? else? Any, what else spooked you guys? Oh, there's another little brief dream that he has about Sheila being dead. And he says um, he's at her funeral. And somebody had propped her up in her coffin and stuffed a grotesque corsage of new dollars in her mouth. Oof. Oh. I thought that was kind of disturbing. Yeah. I'll say, too, I kind of like the anxiety of um, the concept of never knowing or never being as far ahead as you think. Mm-hmm. Like, that's, that's, I think, a fun part of the early part of it is that Ben thinks he's probably really far ahead, but then realizing he's not and that they're always, like, closer to him than he thinks. That's just sort of a cool general uh, sense of anxiety that I like that was pervading the book really early on. But um, yeah, and then also, you know, the use of racial slurs was pretty terrifying, <laughs> like casual racial slurs. Oh, um, anything else that's freaking you guys uh, out? I kind of like that image 
when, um, where is it? Uh, when Killian looks out. Oh, this is hilarious. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> this is hilarious. Uh, the twinkling vista of the city from South City to Crescent was gone. The entire window was filled with an oncoming Lockheed TriStar jet. Its running lights blinked on and off, and for just a moment, an insane moment of total surprise and horror and disbelief, <laughs> he could see Richard staring out at him, his face smeared with blood, his black eyes burning like the eyes of a demon. Richard's was grinning and giving him the finger. <laughs> Jesus was all Killian had time to get out. You know what's funny about that is <laughs> that reminded image. me of not of the running man with Arnold Schwarzenegger, but of True Lies with Arnold Schwarzenegger when he's flying that jet up and the terrorist sees him and he kind of smiles at him. Oh, that, yeah. that weird? Yeah, yeah. That's uh, weird. I, and, and another really scary thing to me, though, was just the whole idea of what is going on in the rest of the world. At this point, and like I, 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 there, he talks a little bit about it. It, oh, sa- yeah. it says um, there's a limited legalized murder and germ warfare in Egypt and South and South America, mm-hmm. and the notorious "have one, kill one" Nevada abortion law. And I just yeah. thought, God, there's a couple other yeah. things. They talk, he talks about cannibal riots in India. France is under martial law, right? So right. He, he teases things here and there. I also like how there's a Nixon Memorial Park. Yeah. <laughs> Just to hammer down the point of what's yeah. going on now. Yeah. Um, but that was are it those, for me. Yeah. Are those cemetery gates closing? Yeah, I think, uh, I, I think visiting hours are, are oh. over. The frost is off the grass. <laughs> the sun is the rising. The sun is rising. <laughs> <laughs> and that leads us to a little section we like to call Word Processor of the Gods. And we're going to make a new rule. Whenever I'm in here, you hear me typing. Whether you don't hear me typing, what the, the fuck you hear me doing in here when I'm in here, that means that I am working. That means don't come in. Now, do you think you can handle that? Yeah. Fine. Why don't you start right now and get the fuck out of here? Was there any? Um, I, I, have, <laughs> I have one. I wrote down a couple things. Um, actually. So, yeah, wait, let me bring it up here. Uh, I had a little section... We're going through our books here. I got my Kane Hodder edition <laughs> that I love here. There's a little, there's a little Jason mask on the spine. <laughs> um, let's see. Yeah, I guess I just liked him. The description of uh, of Evan McCone, like when he first showed up on page nine ten of the uh, Hodder Kane Hodder books edition. Um, he knew the name, of course. It was supposed to strike fear into his heart. He was not surprised to find that it did strike fear into his heart. Evan McCone was the chief hunter, a direct descendant of J. Edgar Hoover and Heinrich Himmler, he thought, the personification of the steel inside the network's cathode glove, a boogeyman, a name to frighten bad children with. If you don't stop playing with matches, Johnny, I'll let Evan McCone come out of the closet. And like that, and right there is the last time that character is intimidating. Exactly. (laughs) But I did like that, that I think that was like such a really tight, functional, really, uh, helped introduce the character kind of introduction of how he is viewed at large. Like this idea of painting him as like a boogeyman type character, a Bogeman kind of character was, um, I thought very effective. So that was Um, one that I had. What other good writing do we have here? There was just a line that stuck out to me when he was describing the bombed out YMCA. Um, he says, uh, 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 sorry, minus 73 of the pocketbooks edition. He just wrote, uh, it looked like the skeleton of a murdered idea. And I just like that. Mm. Yeah, I, I actually remember that line. That struck out. That stuck out to me too. I'm at the hotel, bombed out, YMCA. 
Sorry, I got what the song in my head. What the hell is that? Oh, yeah. boy. I've listeners read one. it up. Listen to it. I really, um, I think there's some pretty good writing in the two uh, Paracas chapters. Mm. Oh, yeah. Two, three, however many there are. Um, but I really liked uh, this bit here. Um, Mom's right, he said. I don't make a very good secret agent. I forgot the keys. Richard gave them to him, then essayed a joke. Half a secret agent is better than none. It struck a sour chord or no chord at all. Elton Paracas carried his torments with him too clearly, and Richard could almost hear the phantom jeering voices of the children that would follow him forever, like small tugs behind a big liner. Hmm. Um, I really liked that little chunk. Well, those are all actually nice. I didn't necessarily pick those out. For, for once, for me, I, didn't, I couldn't really find the real piece of night like beautiful prose at least that really stuck out to me at least and i feel like in all of his books even the bad ones like rage or something like that, even road work we were able to find some nice passages yeah i have something here i'm gonna call it anti-word processor Uh-oh. the guy this is like Ooh. um the computer's crashed right. <laughs> um this is an attempt at writing beautiful prose that i found to be really lame <laughs> let's hear so, it well, here we go this is when richard stumbles upon that kid mm-hmm. who, okay sorry he was a good-looking boy, well-made, perhaps 11, and there was none of the pale and patched inner-city look on his face. There was something suspicious and alien in his features, yet familiar also. After a moment, Richards placed it. It was innocence. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I forgot I went, about that. Uh, that's not going to be good for anybody. <laughs> I, missed, I missed that. Oh, that, that, yeah, that was like stupid. Good. That kid is incredibly <laughs> stupid. Mm. Oh man! Um, I just kind of, I, you know, I had goosebumps. I know if you get goosebumps, that means that you're, you, you, you feel and you're really intelligent. So when I read that, I got goosebumps. <laughs> I had another, um, another section where he's kind of describing uh, the poor and sort of the general milieu around the the, the poor. Mm-hmm. On page eight ninety eight of the Kane Hodder edition, uh, the police were deployed more heavily here, and more were coming all the time. Richards was not surprised at the swiftness and the heaviness of their crunch, despite the suddenness of his appearance. Even here in Boondocks, USA, the club and the gun were kept near to hand. The dogs were kept hungry in the kennel. The poor break into summer cottages closed for autumn and winter. The poor crash supermarts in sub-teen gangs. The poor have been known uh, to soap badly spelled obscenities on shop windows. The poor always have itchy assholes in the sight of Nagahide and Chrome and $200 suits and fat bellies have been known to make the mouths of the poor fill with angry spit. And the poor must have their Jack Johnson, their Muhammad Ali, their Clyde Barrow. They stood and watched. You know, if you read that today, I wonder if they're thinking of Jack Johnson, the, uh, <laughs> I know, the surfer. I, I, had that, I had that moment when I was reading it. <laughs> I was like, he was around back then? <laughs> That's great. That's He's nice. been around forever. Yeah, it was a good section. Good passage, everybody. Yeah. Uh, what, uh, Mac? Do you have another one? No. Oh, okay. <laughs> Allison. So you fiddle him, futz him with your with your uh, running man notes over there. Oh well, there was a there was something I, I probably should have left in the cemetery, but um, I brought with me to the word processor. <laughs> oh no, it's like a, uh, it's like like a monk- cemetery. No, we, we're supposed to, again. We're supposed to. This is another section where I think he was trying to make us be like, oh yeah, Richards. I'm going to get behind him. He's a good guy. It was the section where um, he uh, was talking about like. Like, well, I really want to hit Amelia or like and or rape her. Uh, he has like this like weird, weird section at like page two sixty four oh, of, yeah. of the pocketbooks. Um, yeah, I didn't I didn't have it written down here because it wasn't word processor worthy. But yeah, I, I just thought, what, what what are we doing here? <laughs> Sounds like a computer crashing of the gods. <laughs> um, has the computer crashed? Is there or is there anything else to say? I took it to Geek Squad. They said you got a new computer. Sorry. <laughs> Well, that was your first problem, was taking it to the Geek Squad. They've helped me out in the past. Yeah, well, uh, 
I wouldn't trust my computer with a bunch of geeks. <laughs> I take my computer to the cool squad, the jock squad. You know, guys, jock squad. I'm uh, kind of hungry. Oh, I am too. Mm. Good thing that there is a massive plate of pound cake sitting right in front of us. After all you've been talking, everyone in bad mama, everything in the sin. Come to your closet and pray. Ask to be forgiven. He's a nice boy, mom. You like him. You really like him, mama. And and now uh, Allison Shoemaker, Loses Club member, will explain uh, what that pop was. So um, don't worry, we're never going to change the name of the section. It's always going to be called Pound Cake. But there's like an like an unofficial sound mascot for the Pound Cake section now, <laughs> and it is <laughs> and it is uh, the sound of a champagne cork popping. Um, much like the sound of a penis popping out of a very tight woman's vagina <laughs> as immortalized in the classic novel, Roadwork. Um, now, we don't actually get... There is a champagne cork reference in this book. Uh, it is not, but it is not P&V related. It's obviously the same universe. <laughs> yeah, it's a, so King it's must have been real... Ha- he must have been having a lot of sex with some very tight badge. <laughs> He had champagne corks on the brain. So I happened today to bring um, this bottle of pre-made Bellinis, which sounds gross, but it's actually really delicious, and realized that we could actually make that sound in this section. Uh, So we did, and now we're all drinking Bellinis, which we're going to have to to get through this extra dense helping of pounds. You know what we could do going forward, though? Because Real Work was a Bachman book. This is a Bachman book. Maybe for all Bachman books for the pound cake section, instead of the Great Van Halen song, we have... The, the champagne the pop, cork popping. Hey, we've that'd got, be, we've got the audio. We got the audio now. The Shut master, em, the dum, master dum. tape. Save them. Short and sweet. But we only got two more Bachman books, right? We got a uh, uh, no. There's uh, about thinner. I think there's three more. Is Blaze one? Yeah. Oh, okay. So Blaze being Blaze. Isn't there Just a, Blaze being Blaze. Not a short story no. collection. Nope. No, there's a thinner regulators. Regulators thinner and I'm Blaze. Stoked for, I'm stoked for regulators. Yeah. Although I can just, I haven't read that book in 20 some years and I can remember pound cake in it. <laughs> good Lord. Uh, so here's some pound cake though. Um, <laughs> this one's so good and we've already mentioned it, but it needs to be brought up again. When Ben goes to uh, the game show headquarters and begins taking the test and he's met in booth six uh, by a tall Juno-esque blonde wearing iridescent short shorts, which clearly outline the delta-shaped rise of her pudenda. And uh, just to add a, the you know the little cherry on top of that, uh, rouge nipples poked perkily through a silk fishnet blousette. <laughs> rouge nipples was one of my favorite Mission Impossible movies, by the way. <laughs> and then, um, uh, and then there was a couple pages later. <laughs> uh, she goes, "Not so fast on that one, Ben." And he goes, "But they'll be all right," he said, and smiled back at her. He leaned forward and swatted her lightly on the rump. Take a shower, kid. You done good. <laughs> Okay, yeah, that's I've got that too. Absolutely, just boys being boys. It's <laughs> boys being boys. Just a little locker just locker room, room talk. talk. Just uh, locker locker um, room talk. Mac, uh, I don't know. This is pound cake, but it was more of a like an interesting description. He wrote <laughs> on uh, page twenty four. Uh, he was talking about all the guys lined up uh, in the showers. Mm-hmm. I think he said penises dangling from their legs like forgotten war clubs. <laughs> <laughs> There's a lot of um, um, male pound cock. M- m- pound cock. <laughs> <laughs> There's definitely a pound cock chapter in this one. Um, and then I only had well, we we've talked about a few of them already that I had. So the only other one I had was on was a minus ninety one, 
He said, the, the kid had enjoyed crouching under the high school bleachers and looking up girls' skirts while he flogged his dog. Oh, he was describing that, that, that weird... Yeah, <laughs> I, yeah, I gotcha. thought that was weird. I liked on page 742 oh. of the Kane Hodder books edition uh, pretty early on. Um, Richards was nearly out of his mind with anger, worry, and frustration when a young and slightly faggoty-looking pal got... <laughs> just like, and then later, he just says it again, at about 15 minutes past 10, the faggoty-looking fellow... <laughs> Good, it's good alliteration, lecture. I guess. But uh, what is he doing? Geez. He's hiding behind that name. Oh, man. Um, oh Allison. So you guess I'm sorry. Okay, <clears throat> this is an entire page Ooh. about a character who has maybe two lines. Bring it. I'm gonna drink while you're doing yes, this. Yes, please what do. You're gonna want to. The woman was very old. Richards thought he had never seen anyone as old. She was wearing a cotton print house dress with a large rip under one arm. An ancient wrinkled dug swayed back and forth against the rip as she went about making the meal that Richard's new dollars had purchased. The nicotine yellow fingers sliced and diced and pared and peeled. Her feet, splayed into grotesque boat shapes by years of standing, were clad in pink terry cloth slippers. Her hair looked as if... if as if it might have been self-waved by an iron held in a trembling hand. It was pushed back into a kind of pyramid by the twisted hairnet, which had gone askew at the back of her head. Her face was a delta of time, no longer brown or black, but grayish, stitched with a radiating galaxy of wrinkles, pouches, and sags. Her toothless mouth worked craftily at the cigarette held there, blowing out puffs of blue smoke that seemed to hang above and behind her in little bunched blue balls. It's still going. She puffed back, puffed back and forth, describing a triangle between counter skillet and table. Her cotton stockings were rolled at the knee, and above them and the flapping hem of her dress, varicose veins bunched in clock springs. That is an entire page about a character who I think has two lines. It's funny because uh, Vincent D'Onofrio took that uh, for inspiration in Men in Black. That description. That's, that's, honestly, that's that's the most descriptive thing in, in this book. And it's about a character that's in like nothing. It's like like barely in it. Like, well, how about that for Richards or any of these other people that we Wait, spend was, the entire book with? Well, what was the boat feet? What was it again? Uh, her grotesquely splayed from years of standing. What was the, wasn't there some boat shaped feet? That's right. Yeah, yeah that's right. Boat shaped feet. Uh, it's well. You see, the thing is, Mac. It's really important to let <laughs> male characters be defined by what they do, while female characters oh. are defined by the age of their saggy dugs. And they're You're and absolutely the, correct. And the ashen gray. <laughs> Similarly, when we meet uh, Elvis's mom, oh, yeah. or Elton's mom, uh, the door swung open, and Richards looked at a scrawny woman with no breasts and huge knotted hands. <gasps> Got like, it. That's. No breasts and huge knotted hands are the things that must be described. Her her face was unlined, almost cherubic, but it looked as if it had taken hundreds of invisible hooks and jabs and uppercuts in a no-holds-barred brawl with time itself. Perhaps time was winning, but she was not an easy bleeder. Oh, good lord. Okay, here, I've, got, I've got a couple here. Yes. I'll, I'll knock off. Um, once again, that Juno-esque... Um, blonde classic mm-hmm. the classic beauty the blonde uh, Juno-esque woman and um, she says may I call you Ben sure he said nice tits <laughs> 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 same employee after the exam <laughs> not so fast on that one Ben but they'll all be right he said and smiled back at her he leaned forward and swatted her lightly on the rump take a shower kid you done good I read that one a couple minutes ago but it deserved to be read again oh. wait did you read that line yeah yeah, I heard. Or I thought you read that earlier. No, I apologize, Randall. I, no, I mean, it's okay. It deserves yeah. to be read twice. <laughs> oh, there's another cho- from this exact chapter. 
then please turn to page one and begin. When I say stop, please put your pencil down. You may begin. He didn't begin. He eyed her body slowly, insolently. After a moment, she flushed. Your hour has begun, Ben. You had better. Why? He asked. Does everybody assume that they, when they are dealing with someone from south of the canal, they are dealing with a horny mental incompetent? Perhaps because you're insolently eyeing her body. <laughs> she was completely <laughs> flustered now. I, I never, no, you never. He smiled and picked up his pencil. My Christ, you people are dumb. <laughs> <laughs> Whoa. Um, when Elton enters on page 854 of the Kane Hodder edition, the door opened and Elton Parakis walked in. He was immensely fat. And his lackluster blonde hair was combed back in preposterous waves from his forehead to show a round baby face that held an element of perpetual puzzlement. So preposterous, perpetual puzzlement. Preposterous, <laughs> per- uh, I already screwed it up. I do have a one more I want to read here. Um, once again, that Juno-esque blonde from the beginning of the book. Not so fast on that one, Ben. But they'll all be right, he said. <laughs> I smiled back at her. I just want to call myself out for reading my notes when Randall was doing that. <laughs> okay, I do. Um, here's more... Here's something that's that's just disgusting that we kind of point out in this section. Um, this is at the the Y restroom. Essence of urine, shit, puke, and disinfectant mingled. There was a pile of feces in one of the urinals. A few sluggish autumn flies were crawling over it. That's pretty disgusting. I, I, yeah, that's gross to me. I'm trying to find there. It's somewhere. I can't find the exact line, but just I I could not stop laughing when I read the line about him following uh, Elton, and he just had a sentence that simply was. He jiggled. <laughs> May I call you jiggling? Um, he objectifies uh, a man in this book. And it's... Uh, Donahue. But, well, it's just... Whenever, he, a couple, writes, a couple. whenever he writes about fat people, it is like he has to make it as grotesque as possible. Oh, no, this is a sexual thing. <laughs> oh, oh, let's With hear. Donahue. He's got a couple of them here. I was like, what the... Um, Donahue trod them back. He had long hair, combed back, greaser fashion, and pants tailored tight enough to show what looked like a bag of golf ball at the crotch. I didn't, I copied that wrong. Golf balls, plural, at the crotch. <laughs> the maps were encased in limp plastic. Richards didn't know what Donahue's balls were encased in. Hey-oh. Here's one. She had never really been a handsome woman, and in the years since her husband had not worked, she had grown scrawny, but in this moment, she looked beautiful. Mm. Imperious. Imperious. <laughs> Fuck you, bro. Donahue turned, on, Donahue turned away on that short word. His neck was bunched. His buttocks and his tight blue uniform were as pretty as a girl's. <laughs> it reminds me of Bill Paxton, True Lies. Yeah. Um, I'm, I'm stuffed to the gills. Are there, is there any other pound cake that, uh, that we want to feast on? God, I mean, there's loads, but at some point we have to stop eating or our intestines are going to come out of our bodies and then we're going to step on them. Oh, oh, yeah. Yeah. Or they're going to I've been stepping on mine for a while. <laughs> and then you feel a tug inside. Oh, God, that pull. makes Some, like you're shitting yourself. Inside. It really like pull. I mean it. It's very, a very upsetting phrase. Yes. Every time you say it, I'm like, oh, oh. God. Gray sausage. Gray sausage. Gray I remember matter. that. I was, I'm from gray matter, but gray I will say that I, I think that the first time I I guess I always when I was young I always envisioned intestines as being red. Hmm. So I remember it being very struck by the idea that they were gray. Yeah. <laughs> And that we and that we enjoy sausage from other beasts on this earth, but uh, total sausage fest in that plane. <laughs> oh, God. Actually, it really was at a certain point. Once Amelia was blown out of the plane, it was just a sausage fest. 
Yeah, speaking of Superman, can we talk about how the door comes off the plane? <laughs> she gets ripped out, and he's like, well, it's windy in here, but I'm fine. And my, and my guts are falling out. But my intestines are waving I'm behind good. me like yeah, a I'm flag. surprised his intestines didn't go flying out the door. Yeah, that's a very good point. How, why didn't that happen? And then he felt a tug. And then he felt inside. a pull from inside. Oh, I felt like he was shitting himself. <laughs> Uh, any any other pound cake people? He I'm wasn't stuffed. shitting himself. That was just a Pulitzer. <laughs> oh God, that was so funny. <laughs> um, I'm, I'm I, I Lord. Speaking of shitting, Lord knows I'm gonna have to take a huge one after eating all this pound cake, <laughs> and uh, and then I think that that signals that it's time for a little bit of dessert in the form of King's Dominion. There's another world out there. I know there is. Say, how are you going to transition from that to Custom Minion? I thought it was going to be, I'm going to have to take a huge one after all that pound cake. Luckily, there are lots of very clean toilets in King's Dominion. That's a good one. Well, you know, in King's Dominion, uh, I am going to get some dessert, and I'm going to get in the form of ice cream in dairy. Oh, Oh, wow. Very good. The first mention of the town of dairy is in a Bachman book, Mm -hmm. which... Blew me away. Um, it, he said it's page two fifty three. Oh, this the is the first edition. This is the first mention yeah. of dairy. It says, huh. "Geez, that's over a hundred miles from here in dairy, and it's spelled the, the correct way and everything." That's so where they take I off. I wonder. Right? Yeah, and that's where they take off. Yeah, so I wonder if he just threw so. this out there, even remembered that he mentioned this in this book when he got to it. But we like to think he did, and definitely on purpose. <laughs> so um, I also have some uh, a couple of Room 237s. Yes. Mm. I love Room 237s. Um, these are, of course, for people who have listened to a lot. Course, these are the stretches. These are, of course, <laughs> absolutely, you're absolutely wrong. These are for the people that are, 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 <laughs> are, are, so reading, are reading and in very in tune. These are for the Red Pill uh, listeners um, among us. Oh, God. So there were, there were only two, but they were related. And it was um, page 21 of Pocket Books. He wrote, it was full dark outside now. Oh. Page, there were no stars. Page That's 30, right. 328, sealing the deal. He wrote, outside, it was almost full dark. Two full dark Whoa. mentions. Has to be. This was laying the groundwork for full dark, no stars. He may be on a coke binge, but he said, you know what, 29 years later, I'm going to write an, an, a series of novellas <laughs> in also, the collection. You know, also, full dark, no stars. Th- they were talking earlier on. They said, radiation, radiation, your children will be monsters. And the fear of genetic mutation, much like that of the muties in the Dark Tower. Ah, um, room two thirty seven, definitely. I'm checking into room two three seven. Oh this. boy. Um, so yeah, I, I also like the Pennywise appearance in this. Oh no, Pennywise popped up at the airport, had his balloons. Oh, because oh, of the dairy. Thing. Yeah, I'm totally making that up. <laughs> but uh, I kept joking. He waved down yeah. as he flew away. <laughs> I just kept thinking about like how would Pennywise like like I would just love the concept of like if King went back and did a revision of this and just added Pennywise. Well, you know what he would call Richards? What a a a a, a, a Benny boy. <laughs> oh boy! Keep drinking, everybody. Um, I got a couple. Oh, you got King's. I got Dominion? a couple. Nice. This is definitely in the room two thirty seven. Okay, category. good. Oh. After one of his videotapes get altered, we read the following. Um, Maybe I'll kill them, Richard said in a thoughtful voice. Maybe before I'm done, I'll get up to the 19th floor of that place. So the offices were on the 19th floor. We're killing them. I thought it was 90th. That's what I thought, too, but I've got 19th here. 
Maybe I read it Someone wrong. Check. Or maybe this is room 237 and it really was 19 now. Yeah. Maybe I just yeah. screwed that up. Miss Sparaka says, I'm 65, but I was, I was only a fresh young girl of 19 when it began to happen. Probably talking about going to physical hell, apparently. And you know, oh. the, next, the next book after this is The Gunslinger. That is true. So it maybe begins. he was already thinking. He was thinking about Mrs. Paracas. He's 19 years yeah. old. <laughs> Would, question. Would 2025, the setting, the year in which the book is set, fall into one of those fateful Pennywise years in Derry? Ooh. No. It would have been yeah, 2013. I, I think it would have been 2013 would have been the last one, and then the next one would be 2040. Well, so the, this was just a normal shitty thing that happened. This is just a bad. Well, things always things were pretty bad in Derry to begin with, and now it's just. But this yeah. is no Pennywise. Yeah, that's a good point. What if uh, when instead of like give Ben's giving the finger to Killian when he flies the airplane into it, but Killian also sees like a clown sitting in the passenger <laughs> seat, just cackling, let me, holding a balloon. Let holding me balloons. just say, you know, up until that point, I was like, all right, this isn't a great book, but you know, I'm enjoying it. It's a quick read. That is literally like the last page when he does that, and all I could think of was Die Hard Five, when he flying from the helicopter and giving him the finger at the very end of the movie, which is one of the worst moments in cinema history, and also and now in novels. Uh, I thought I just I hated (laughs) I hated that scene. I I was like, are you kidding me? It wasn't like I loved the book, but at least I I was taking it seriously to a point. And then to do that, I just thought, what are we, what is going on? I mean, it made me laugh. I'm not sure it was supposed to make me me laugh, laugh. but it made me Uh, laugh. And for that, I thank it. They were probably like, you know what? This could be a good Schwarzenegger vehicle based on the last paragraph of the book. They're like, we could really spin this. (laughs) Get me Arnold. Yeah, they probably just read the last page like they got their rights. And they're just like, like, oh, shit, I forgot to read it before the pitch meeting. I have nothing else for the room 237 or for um, this King's Dominion. I think that leads us into our overall thoughts on the book. Dad, can we go now? You ready? Yeah, we've been ready for an hour. (laughs) Okay, I'll be right there. He said that a half hour ago. Yeah, my dad's weird. He gets like that when he's writing. Let's go through and and give our overall thoughts. I'll start. Um, I'm going to say that um, the Running Man is not a thoroughly enjoyable read, though it is a, it is a fairly quick one. I find it a very tedious read. I don't enjoy the characters. I find the world very dour, very um, unpleasant, very sterile. Uh, it has moments of inspiration. Uh, I think that King is having you know a ball with in terms of uh, cranking up people's disgust. Uh, in terms of the body horror on display here. But uh, he also does a nice job with with some of the action sequences. I think the car chase with Elton um, is a bit haphazard. Mm. Uh, But I will say that the pipe scene was very, very effective, and I was really into that. And, you know, there's a nice pace to the book, but uh, overall, it's really hard to get behind the character. It's really hard to invest in the character's goals, and a lot of the things that I found most I found most fascinating about the world could not be explored through Ben's eyes, such as, you know, what's it like to be one of the hunters? Uh, what's it like to watch these shows? What does the general, you know, outline of the TV show look like, since we're only getting a couple minutes of Ben in each one? Uh, you know, there were so many perspectives I found interesting from the supporting characters that we don't really get to see. We're really trapped in the head of a very unpleasant man throughout the course mm-hmm. of this book. And I think that was, you know, and I wasn't expecting that when I first read it because 
I was expecting an Arnold Schwarzenegger type, who to me is the opposite of unpleasant. But uh, like a Richard Dawson type, yeah. So, um, so on that note, I am going to give the Running Man one and a half Ooh. bright red Ooh. Pennywise claw noses. Ooh. That is surprising. Your, your review was not as brutal as that the nose <laughs> rating there. I was, I was uh, taken aback. Uh, that was more surprising than most of what happened in the book, actually. <laughs> <laughs> a, a genuine twist. What can I say? I uh, I'm a harsh critic, as they say. Um. I, I have not like Rex no, I haven't read Rage, but I did read Roadwork, and mm. I can't remember what the hell I gave that book. But um, you know, I have to say, when I was reading this, like coming in here and now after this podcast, I'm like, wow, I really didn't like the book that much. <laughs> but up until today, I remember actually enjoying the book. Um, I think it obviously has a lot of problems, but um, it to me it was just like, okay, this is a this is King's stab at a Philip K. Dick novel, and in that kind of future, in that kind of weird dystopian reality. And uh, I think at the end of the day, I would give it two and a half bright red, bright red Pennywise, Pennywise clown, clown noses. noses. And, uh, and stick with that. And stick with that? <laughs> what? That's, that's, I that's your... Because I, I, I'm debating on... I, I, we'll see how I feel at the end of the, the podcast. <laughs> but I think that's where I'm at. I mean, two and a half... Uh, hard and fast. <laughs> Two and a half, hard and fast. Allison? Um, thanks, boys. <laughs> I, um, you know, uh, overall, um, I mean, I read it. I was occasionally engaged in it. Mm. Um, but I think there are a couple big problems. One is that it's maybe it's because he wrote it so fast and maybe it really didn't get an edit. Um, but it feels like all of King's worst impulses in one place in a condensed little package um, with some neat set pieces tucked in there to make it palatable. Um, I think that he is a great American writer who uh, hadn't yet figured out that you can't write a dystopia just by making up some new words and saying it's in the future. Um, there are ideas here that are interesting, but they're not explored in any yes. kind of depth. Um, there are characters that are interesting that are not explored in any kind of depth. And there are a lot of things that are just eye roll inducing um, to say nothing of the occasional rage stroke. So uh, it's better than rage. Mm. Um, I think I probably liked it better than road work, mm. but that would be a close one. Um, so I think I'm going to go with, Two bright red Pennywise clown noses. Booyah. Yeah, I was thinking about the one and a half with you, Randall, but um, but I think I'm gonna go with two because it's not rage. That'll so. work. Yeah, I think I like this more than real work and and rage. But again, it's just saying you know, hey, World War One wasn't as bad as World War Two. It was still an Jesus awful thing. Christ. You know what I mean? God, um, it was still an awful event. <laughs> Listeners, I just spat Bellini <laughs> all over myself. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I should have prepped everybody for that a little bit. But again, it's Allison, what you said about the unexplored, unexplored territory is absolutely correct. There's so much going on around Ben Richards that I was much more interested in, not just, not just the society itself, but just even the minor characters. I was much more interested in those characters. Um, I have problems with 40-chapter climaxes. Yeah. <laughs> when you put um, it that way. Especially when it's literally 40% of the book is just this climax on the tarmac and in, in, in the plane, I, feel, I felt like. Um, it's just, I like some of the satire. I like the idea of these games. I liked a lot of the ideas in the book, but once again, if you had told me just now, and I didn't know that he wrote this in three days, I absolutely would have believed you. Um, it's not as long as, (laughs) I don't think it's as long as real work. So that gives it a point. (laughs) 
it's not as boring as Rage, so that gives it a point. So I will also give this two bright red Pennywise clown noses. Nice. So, so I think that averages out to two. It's a, it's a hard two. It's a hard two. Yeah. So hard uh, and fast two, Mac. Please please tell us, uh, constant listeners, what your bright red Pennywise clown nose rating was uh, on in the comments on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter uh, for this episode, and and then fire up that old DVD player because mm. you need to watch the Running Man movie if you haven't yet. So we're gonna move on over. And let the games begin. Again. Again. Don't worry, Mom. I know all about cannibalism. I saw it on TV. See? It's okay. You saw it on the television. In the year 2017, an innocent man accused of a crime has a choice. Hard time or prime time. Sensational, perfect contestant. I want him. He must pay or play the running man. On your mark! I'll be back. Go! So, the Running Man movie came out in 1987. This is its 30th anniversary. And let's just say it wasn't the most fa- most faithful adaptation of its source material. It was actually... Uh, uh, Optioned before King was outed as Bachman, though. Mm-hmm. So, uh, do you remember what year exactly he got out of this? I think it was Bachman? 85. Oh, 85. So, mm-hmm. he was out by the time uh, the movie was released. And I think, yeah, they marketed it as, as being a Stephen King story. Well, it's funny. They do. They do. But in the credits, it it's actually does say uh, based written. on the novel The Running Man by Richard Bachman. Ah. That was a little King request. Yeah. Oh, nice. So, um, it's fun. It's fun. And it stars, <laughs> and it stars Arnold Schwarzenegger, who is. Is McCone? Uh, no, he plays Ben Richards. <laughs> I mean, I got some stats. Okay, oh, let's hear some here stats. We go. So in the book, Ben Richards is literally described as being 28 years old, six 28. foot two. I know, right? It's nuts. Six foot two and 165 pounds. So I did some research. Schwarzenegger in 1987 was 40 years old, six foot three. So that's that's close. Six foot three, 234 pounds. Wow. And that's all muscle, by the way. Yeah, he's a big. So boy. not quite. <laughs> The, the book description. He also worked as a in the what the military for there you the go. freebie. He which, works. So what's very interesting that this begins the every single time we were like it would be more interesting if mm-hmm. they did a lot of that stuff that we that we proposed in the movie. Yes, it, it, I don't think it necessarily worked. <laughs> necessarily, I mean, like it made it for more an interesting movie, but it made it for I, more I entertaining experience. Like, yeah. Right. So but, yeah, but it's yeah. it's it's like a basically yeah he's in the military and then he gets framed by the government for killing like sixty people in this mm-hmm. massacre. So he's hated by the uh, by the general public. He's arrested and then he uh, but then he escapes right. Yeah, uh, he, yeah. yeah yes. he's like on the run and he kidnaps uh, Maria Conchita Alonso, one of the great babes of the eighties. I got uh, some news on Maria Conchita Alonso. Oh, bring it. Um, the actress stayed at the hotel I used to work at in Orlando, Florida. Oh, yeah. She was, I wasn't working those days, but she was awful. Really? No way. Um, She's also, I I was not surprised to learn this, a frequent guest on Hannity. Um, (laughs) But anyway, um, we'll move on from that. We don't like to talk too much about politics. Maria? Yeah, not a very nice person. I liked her Predator too as well. She's also in McBain starring Christopher Walken, which is the movie that introduced me to bad movies. Excellent. 
as a stand, I mean, her name is not Amelia in this, is it? No, it's but as a stand uh, in, Amber. Yeah, Amber. but Amber. as a stand-in for that character, again, I like the fact in the movie that we got to spend some more time with her and she sees that, oh, that's not how that happened. He didn't yeah. kill those people at the airport. And you see her kind of come around to believing Richards and then ultimately trying to help him and then being forced into the game herself. And, and she I, kills one of the gladiators. Right. Woman yeah. power, right, Allison? Oh, man, oh god, uh, yes. <laughs> um, so I, I like. Allison's so again, de- it was illegally like, downloading the movie right now. <laughs> we wished we we wished we we had more time with Amelia and they fleshed that character out more. And I feel like they did that in this. Changed the name. Yeah, and, I quite uh, like her in this yeah. movie. Yeah, yeah, it's good. yeah it's fun. Like they try to escape to Hawaii. Um, he gets. He basically they she ends up turning on him. Well, it doesn't turn on him, but she like outs him as yeah. being uh, Ben Richards. Uh, he gets arrested. He what? What Mac? He's absolutely yeah. Mentioned his I wardrobe. Said he, it's great that she has to out him when he clearly looks like ben, ben Richards with a Hawaiian shirt on and some sunglasses, like, like, like sunglasses, like, a fedora, and, and, it's and super a giant flashy Hawaiian shirt. Too. It's like he's not even disguised, right? And so uh, he gets uh, taken in, and then him and he's working with like this resistance group that Yafet Kodo. And uh, a code breaker, the master, master of codes. codes. Uh, they <laughs> they work together, and then um, <laughs> this can't be real. No, this is no, this is absolutely oh, yeah. real. Uh, it absolutely well, they don't call him master of codes. That's that's a name it's, we gave him, but he is okay. a master of codes. And Yafet Kodo from Alien, from yes. Live and Let Die. I would never yeah. think that he yeah. was like the guy from Alien. He is such a non presence in this movie. I know it's crazy. Like, he doesn't do anything. But uh, he's the main it, villain in the James Bond movie. I know. Yeah. Isn't he uh, into Aliens now? He says he was abducted by abducted aliens. Abducted by aliens. Yeah. So interesting. He's getting older. Yeah. But uh, but so basically they all get thrown into and like the the running man is is, is a game show, but it's it's like a sillier game show. It's still about throwing a guy into a situation and people hunting him down and killing him. But it's all done in an arena. Mm-hmm. And he's basically going up against professional wrestlers who also kill you. Yeah. Uh, guys named Buzzsaw, guys named uh, was it Fire Firewall? Firestorm, Firestorm, I think. And. Um, uh, oh, I, I've got them names here. I'm, I apologize. I it's, it's Fireball. You're Fireball, right. played by Jim Brown. Um, Sub Zero. Sub Zero, which is he's a hockey playing killer. He's a hockey playing killer. Oh my god! And, yeah. and Dynamo. Dynamo, who's, who's an opera singer, opera singer uh, who can throw electric bolts for some reason. For some reason, yes. But uh, so he basically he has to square. The three of them have to square off against all these. Uh, they're called hunter or um, what are they called? They're called stalkers. Stalkers, and what I love is the audience gets to choose which stalker like goes after them first. Yeah. And so Richard Dawson plays Killian in this movie. And Richard Dawson was he was an actor, but he was more famous as a game show. Yeah, he's host. a composite character of the Bobby Thompson host yeah. and Dan Killian from the book. He's Damian Killian, Killian in the movie. Yes, yeah. and so he is. We see him outworking the crowd. So it's such inspired casting because he he has that schmaltzy factor with the audience, which he really plays up and really uses. And as he's engaging with the people, and I like that the people too are all just super normal looking. Yeah. Like they just look like the normal people that you would see at a game show, but they're literally rooting for these people to to you know kill these yeah. men. Yeah. And so they, but they, again, they all think that you know these are war criminals. Like these are guys who have committed great atrocities. So uh, we should root for their deaths. But there's a lot of fake news. Like they they even have a line. Right. Uh, I think Arnold has a line where he says, um, "Hold on, I wrote it down." He says, uh, "Truth hasn't been popular lately." So. Uh, <laughs> 
he there's like this this movie like presage fake news so well like they literally manipulate footage they uh create stories whole cloth and basically try to sell um the concept of what they can the what they want people to believe is the truth and that like this game show world uh like killian is directly connected to the president of the united states that is like stated in this so the government is directly involved in this you know game show world so which is kind of like the book yeah 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 it is yeah that's and, somewhat faithful to the book yeah but i i love the lighter campier tone of the movie definitely because uh it just it it, it ups the absurdity levels of it which i think suit the material mm-hmm. and expand on the material and it never takes itself too seriously no, which i really God, love no. although apparently arnold wasn't very happy about that this movie went through four directors mm-hmm. uh the first two i think it just fell out the third one they actually shot for eight days and he went he doubled the budget of the movie in eight days like he well, I think hit. George P. Cosmatos was one of the directors that got fired. I wonder if that was the one that went over budget. It might have been, yeah. Because he was also let go from Tombstone. He had some problems with Rambo First Blood Part Two. There you go. This guy can't finish a movie. <laughs> <laughs> I just love you going into Seinfeld for a minute there. Um, but yeah, so then, uh, who was it? Paul Michael Glazer is the director? Yeah, Paul Michael Glazer, um, who was Starsky. In oh, Starsky and Hutch. I didn't know that. Yeah, and as we know who Hutch was... Oh, yeah. Owen Wilson. Ben. Ben, Mears. ben Mears. Oh, no shit. David Soul from the yeah. Singles Lot miniseries. Um, Can you name the four other movies that Paul Michael Glazer has directed? Um, you, know, you know of at least three of them. Uh, the Big Bounce remake. No. <laughs> give, it, give it to us, Justin. You're close. No, I'm kidding. Band of the Hand, which okay. is this 80s kind of okay. action movie. Um, Schindler's List. No. Close. The Cutting Edge. <laughs> With uh, Moira Kelly. Moira Kelly and D.B. Sweeney. Moira Kelly. Love D.B. Um, the air up there. <laughs> oh my god, that movie with with Kevin Bacon. Oh my god, I hated and that. The movie. last movie he directed, and it makes sense. Kazam. Oh wow! Oh, and wow. that was it. We're well, celebrating, I think, the twenty third anniversary of the wow. last Paul Michael Glazer movie. Well, Kazam's go. coming back, right? Let's move on. <laughs> <laughs> um, but Arnold was not happy with Paul Michael Glazer taking over. Because he TV was not respected back then, and he was a TV guy at that point. So Arnold said that he shot it like a TV show, and thus took away some of the more the bigger themes, like the grander themes. Which is ridiculous when yeah. you listen to the dialogue in this movie. Like, what was he? It Arnold, works better that way. Like, and Arnold was, and it's like I, I think Arnold maybe thought he was making his, uh, you know, I think it might have been a Groundhog Day situation where, you know, although I do like Bill Murray wanted it to be more philosophical, and Harold Ramis wanted to play up the comedy. Mm-hmm. I think there was a similar maybe argument here that Arnold thought maybe he wanted to play up some of the deeper social themes here but how, how is that going to happen when literally like your character cannot kill someone without delivering a one-liner and some of those one-liners were amazing I, I've got a list I feel like if you it, want you want do, do we'll you go do this now we'll go through them give it like a couple minutes yeah, yeah I, I feel ratings. like it it was better because this guy did TV because the whole thing is about a television show yeah I agree so I felt like it, it really felt like it was a realistic show the way they were shooting it and I don't know I I, I think that it was probably better that they did that as, as far as diving into the deeper politics or philosophy of whatever, when you've got all those one-liners like you, you're going to list off in a minute, how did he ever think that this was going to be anything more than just this fluffy 80s action, you know, dark dump? comedy, satire-ish, yeah. you know? Yeah, I don't know. I mean, it's not RoboCop. That's but they were they going were, for that. They were going for the RoboCop satire, yeah. definitely, with the commercials and everything. So Arnold at the time, though, he was... 
Um, this was 1987. Terminator, he broke through in 1984. And uh, he had been doing the Conan movies as well. But he had done Commando and... Um, Raw Deal. And Raw Deal were kind of the two ones that, that did this. And this movie came out the same year as Predator. So it was like we were at peak kind of Arnold action hero. Because the next year was when he started doing comedy, went on to Twins and stuff. So it's like... Uh, it's. I think it's fun because we kind of have peak catchphrase Arnold here. Oh, and so Yeah, so let's go through some of these. I'll say that <laughs> oh, the, the first one that I lost my mind laughing at because it was so unnecessary <laughs> was he like picks a guy up and throws him off a balcony and he goes, need a lift? It's amazing. It's so unnecessary. And it's so unnecessary and only Arnold Schwarzenegger could pull it off. I know. And he Anybody does it, else, I know. You're, you're, no, it's not going to work. It's amazing. Somehow it works. Um, he's <laughs> signing paperwork. Yeah. Uh, and that lawyer offers his back so he can have like a heart, oh, yeah. heart back. And he stabs him with a pin in the shoulder and he goes, don't forget to send me a copy. <laughs> <laughs> uh, anybody have another one? You oh, yeah. Uh, we'll go back and forth. Back forth. When, I, when he gets put in the pod to like be sent into the arena, yeah, yeah, he right. actually doesn't all be back, yeah. which shows just probably how pervasive that had become and how self-aware this movie was. So he even gives an I'll be back, which I thought was amazing. And there is a long Killian's response, though. after that. <laughs> no, but Killian's response is great. You what does he say again? He says... Only in the rerun. Oh, yeah. <laughs> That's funny. That's and then funny. later, when he does kill Killian, he's like, I told, told you, you I'd be, be back. back. <laughs> um, <laughs> this, I, I'll say this one now. I've been waiting two, two hours to say this. <laughs> this is one of the most inane one-liners I have ever heard in the movie. It seemed like it was a satire of a satire. I think I know what you're going to say, movie. and I'm excited. So they've killed Sub-Zero. Yep. <laughs> okay, they've killed Sub-Zero. <laughs> And Schwarzenegger looks up at the camera and goes, Killian, here is Sub-Zero. Now, Plane Zero. <laughs> <laughs> so immediately my, my brain started going to overdrive. Like, wait, is he saying like he doesn't have a pulse anymore? Is he saying he's warmer now, but he's still cold because he's dead? Like, oh that God. is the weirdest line oh, so I've bad. ever heard. Uh, that might be the weirdest oh. one-liner of, his, of his, all of his one-liners. And since we're talking about that scene, it's, we were talking about this. It's right. Out of you know uh, Batman and Robin, it, the way it's shot with with the ice with the, the, ice, the, the ice, hockey, hockey player on skis, uh, you know, it, it seems oh, like gosh. like the Schumacher following around yeah, those yeah. those ne'er do wells. And Batman, he must and Robin. have been a huge fan of that, and yeah. they thought, hey, we'll, let's let's put this in here. And Batman you know, destroyed the dinosaurs, later. the Ice Age. <laughs> That's a better line than the than the planes here. I know. I'm sorry, but your cries. I I've been left cold to your cries of mercy. <laughs> Everybody, chill, <laughs> chill. Um, you have another one. Uh, I, I was, uh, was. I think this was about Sub Zero. I could be wrong because doesn't he like break his neck? Like, <laughs> yeah, he, oh, yeah, yeah. So this. he goes, he was a real pain in the neck. <laughs> oh God. Um, so Buzzsaw. I don't know if you know this. His superpower is he's got a chainsaw. Yes. <laughs> and so he's about to, you know, saw into Ben Richards and Schwartz. 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 <laughs> he's got the Schwartz. He he takes the chainsaw and and cuts Buzzsaw in the crotch area. Yeah, he like turns it around and cuts him in half. And um, yeah, so they're running away, and I think he runs into Amber, and she says, "You know what happened to Buzzsaw? He had to split." Yeah, it was so good. I loved it. Um, and then when he kills a fireball, there we go. This is the last uh, one. <laughs> he has two actually. He's, he's got two. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, you do the first. Well, because he sets him on fire, right? Yeah. So he goes, "How about a light?" And then he, <laughs> he sets, sets him on, fire. and then I think after he's dead, he goes, "What a hothead! What a hothead!" <laughs> Which uh, Matthew Modine would obviously pick up in <laughs> yes. The Dark Knight Rises. He loved yeah. saying hothead. Somebody get this hothead out um, of here. We should also mention, though, that, <laughs> you know, you're a real hothead. Um, somebody should also mention that Fireball 
is played by Jim running Brown. back legend yeah. from the Cleveland Browns, Jim Brown. Love Jim Brown. He's in Mars He's great Attacks. in Any Given Sunday as well. And Mars Attacks. You know, it was funny because um, before we popped up, I thought, oh, is this the movie where he dresses like an Egyptian? <laughs> like, oh, no, that's, that's actually Mars Attacks. So I apologize. Um, those were the ones I wrote down, but I know there was more. I, that, that's, I've got seven of them. I, I think that might be it for the, the, oh, wow. the major yeah. one-liners. Well, those were so good. It's just so funny because at this point it was like he had the to do the one-liners. The Magnificent Seven. Because when you watch uh, Predator too, like Predator's a pretty serious movie. Like, like you know, it, yeah, it's a big dumb action movie, but it also genuinely like like works as a drama in yeah. some ways because uh, yeah. the characterization's good, the script's good, and it's just, you know, there's a real sense of like, you know, breakneck survival in it and a really consistent tone. But the tone is broken ever so slightly like early on when um, uh, uh, Arnold throws a knife and impales a guy against a wall and he goes, stick around. Stick around. <laughs> <laughs> but like, I love it because like, that it's so out of place That's in uh, Predator. It's just like it is here to a degree. But I mean, well, it's not really. I think like early on, it's just like when they're playing with all the the refugee aspects of this and like the idea that um or not refugee like um the the rebellion like yeah. this whole idea of um of like uh you know uh um, countercultural protesters and things like that, and these people kind of staging a coup against the big government. Like there is a certain sense of seriousness and um, and somberness, like in those early moments. And then uh, just for him to like pick a guy up and go need a lift. <laughs> That's it's, and you know, but what I also love about that when he breaks out after yeah. that sequence is I have it here. He's 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 um wearing the same fake beard that Gene wears in Wet Hot American Summer. Oh, nice! <laughs> that weird like oh, patch yeah. beard, you know. <laughs> he's also wearing a um. Like a a gold gym t shirt. <laughs> oh, I saw that with suspenders, and he's smoking. Oh, I've got a couple major different. So obviously, this, mo- this movie is not very faithful to the book. No. but honestly, in ways that makes in it a work. good way. Yeah, I've got some big ones here. Um, Arnie is just casually smoking cigars in this movie. Oh yeah, like it's nothing. And I think in the book they point out that Ben Richards is enjoying enjoying. He's just having his second cigarette in years. <laughs> Um, well, that's and that's also because of the whole air pollution thing. They totally just like that, all the air pollution things gone. gone. They're so just it, ma- it makes no sense in this film. Like they're trying to take over the satellite feed so that they can like you know get the truth out there about, yeah. about what like it's not like the air. Like, it's not like the whole air. Well, pollution no, the truth about stuff, like you know? no. For instance, like how or they're just that the running man's a joke. No, like, about the whole society and that how these people are necessarily bad. And they're they're hiding everything that's really well, going well, on. Right, right. Like they right. kill like the fact that. But they don't know that those people. They don't know until way later that those people were killed. That's my confusion. They don't know that the winners of the last season's running man. I'm, were talking, about, I'm talking about like in the very beginning when those people are innocently killed by the government, not by some rogue Ben Richards. Oh, that type jet, of stuff that, has been going yeah, on. They've yeah, got, anyway, yeah, yeah. I got that. Um, no wife and child for Richards in the in the movie. No, and he's forced to play the game in the book. I mean, in the movie, um, in the book, he volunteers and does it for his family. The game lasts three hours in underground arena. Yeah. In the game show, in the book, it lasts you know like a month. You can go wherever you want. Yeah, those are the, those are the big big differences. The big differences. Guess, yeah. But again, um, for the for the movie, I feel like it, it works a lot better. That I way. agree. It's more way more entertaining. It embraces the the goofiness. Yeah. And then the uh, there's a couple fun cameos here. Mm. Uh, we get Mick Fleetwood uh, starring as the leader of the resistance as Mick with as no Mick. K. Yeah, Mick with no K. And they and they they put age makeup on him, and he looks. The same? It's like, why did we, why did we do this? Like, well, I guess I 30 understand. years ago he had more black hair, but he actually looks now like he did. Yeah, 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 exactly. And then uh, st- as his sidekick, Stevie, 
Ah, uh, <laughs> Dweezil Zappa. That's right. Uh, who gets two lines in one of them? I can't remember what it was, but it's, oh, it's oh. A t- turn the dial or like turn the dial up, which is a reference to a Frank Zappa song. I believe so. Or dial it up or something. Yeah, he walks in. Yeah, yeah, yeah. at the station and says, oh, "Perfect, God, it's so great." He's a couple years removed from the Don Johnson video, "Heartbeat." Have you ever seen that? <laughs> you gotta see that. Um, I have some random notes too. Bring it. Uh, we've got. Uh, oh, the composer of this. Oh, was also yeah. the composer for Tango and Cash. <laughs> that was the big <laughs> I was oh, and Beverly Hills Cop, I believe. Actually. Yeah, I was right about to say this yeah. sounds like Beverly Hills Cop. Yeah. Like it sounds like, um, like basically they took Beverly Hills Cop and said, "Can you make a song that sounds like this for this movie?" And then they just added some like guitar a guitar solo to it. I think and like changed the key a little yeah. bit, but it's like the same melody. I will yeah. say the main theme is a little more memorable than the Tango and Cash main theme, which is oh, like this weird boy. Pointer Sisters. What? Fused. I don't even know what the hell it is. It's I very strange. Also did Save that for our Tango and Cash cast. <laughs> Tango yeah. and Cast. I think he also did Top Gun, and I think he's attached in some aspect to the new Top Gun. Oh, God. He's still alive, so good for him. Um, I hope he hasn't changed his uh, style. I love the oh, I love the dancers, the choreographed dancing. That's that was, that's you know what? that was great and that choreographed great. by Paul Abdul. That was, that what was the connection what we I was thinking, thinking about. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah but, Jen, uh, I was watching it with my wife Jen, and she was so taken with the. Um, she misses the '80s leotard dancing outfits with the cutout with like the belly button cutouts. <laughs> Just that, that like, little that little open circle in the belly. Peak Showtime Lakers. Yeah, it the, was. The and everything. She was very taken by that. We have to talk about. Kurt Fuller. Kurt Fuller. This is, I think this is the first of his line of being the asshole subordinates. Yes. You've got, this was followed by, of course, you know, Ghostbusters 2. Yes. Yeah. Wayne's World. Um, Wayne's World. And something that might be near and dear to Randall's heart, No Holds Barred. With Hulk no Hogan. Holds Barred. Love it. He's the villain he in that, too. And he has a bigger role in that movie. I think he's the main villain in yeah, that, Yeah, he's actually. the main villain He gets electrocuted at the very end. Yes. He gets murdered by Hulk Hogan in, in the public arena. <laughs> I think like, I had gotten it. I got No Holds Barred confused with um, with Running Man because I, I thought Kurt Fuller had a bigger role in this. But he actually, he he's he's the proof that there's no such thing as small part, only small actors. <laughs> That's right. He is and no small actor. Kurt Fuller is not a small actor. He's a very big actor. thrilled to see him. I know. He's amazing. And I actually, I love, like, I think Richard Dawson is so good in this movie oh, because God, he's yeah. able to really tap into the sliminess of, of you know, like, well, you know, the, the slimy aspect of being a game show host. Like, he was really hamming it up. But then, like, Kurt Fuller, like, they all look like TV executives, yeah. which I kind of love, like, his, like, cronies. But then he also had that big security guard guy who I think plays LaForce and We were talking about that. Yeah, I think it is him. You know what's really interesting about this movie is that Arnold Schwarzenegger in the beginning is so righteous and he's like, I'm not going to shoot un, you know, unarmed civilians and all this stuff. But then most of the movie, he's just a jerk out for himself. He doesn't care about the revolution. He doesn't care about outing the company that totally framed him or any of that stuff until way late in the game. Oh, so that's why right. do I mean, do that? Well, he, he, he breaks out. Because the two his two friends are with the revolution. Right. He was not with the revolution the entire time. But they, right. don't, they don't trust him, and he's like, "You guys can do that. I'm going to go and blah blah blah." Yeah, he doesn't care about. It. He just wants to get the hell out of Dodge. Yeah, but then later on, he cares, I guess, because his friends get killed, especially. So he really cares at that point. And one of them is this is Mac. This is one of the finest movies of the 1980s. <laughs> I'm just saying, like, how dare you? I don't know. And they I, named I, one of his friends Laughlin. Yeah. Oh, they do. Yeah, yeah. yeah oh, just like character. the. Oh, I know. He was just like. The, there's no similarity to the book. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's very, very similar. <laughs> very, very similar. That was oh, the launching oh, point. We got, another, we got Kodo as we got Kodo as Lachlan. Here's, here's another strange thing. So we have Jesse Ventura as the, the what? What was his name? Mr. America or something? Mr. America, the Gladiator. Love Captain Fantastic Cap, or something. like that. It was a Captain America. So, Captain, no, Captain, Captain America. Captain Cool. I don't know. He was amazing. Uh, <laughs> but 
I thought it was really interesting on how he like decides that he doesn't want to take part in it. Mm-hmm. So they like CG his image onto a, a, a another stunt another stuntman yeah. or whatever, and they. Why didn't they just do that the entire time? If we if we have the technology to, to do this, why are we even using real people? Because I mean that scene is well, they like do spot wanna, on. They do want to like, kill Ben Richards. Yeah, they do want to kill. Yeah, but failing. I'm just saying to make like interesting TV, they could just make up anybody they want and do these fantastic stories and film it with stuntmen and just overlay the. Well, big, that's like, what Pixar is. Weird. I think they also said. At, at the pitch meetings for the movie was we cannot have any logic in this, <laughs> <laughs> or it will will be yeah. done before. I we think they call shooting. the the technology where you can you know put anyone's face on anyone's body uh, the little man defense. <laughs> <laughs> Do they? That's true. Maybe that's where that came from. R. Kelly was actually a big fan of the movie, not the book. Yeah, very true. He wasn't a fan of the book. Um, can we please talk about the John Parr song "Restless Heart"? Oh yeah, Wait, who oh, that plays during the closing credits? Oh yes, Jen was like losing it at that. Song. I I couldn't believe it. Yeah, I, I, mean, rec- I said, "Is that the guy from Salem's Fire?" It is the guy from Salem's Fire, and I just it. love like the first line of the song is like, "The game is over." Yeah, I've got oh, I've got the lyrics. <laughs> yeah, oh great, I, 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 right. I won't read all of them because there's uh, somehow there's like five verses. Yeah, this. just read the beginning. I'll read like the first verse and then the chorus. Okay, this is no game. Standing in the dark, I swear, <laughs> I swear, I heard you calling my name, and now that things have changed. No pain, no gain. <laughs> Something in your eyes just told me that this nightmare would end, and I found a friend. <laughs> and it's Maria Conchita Alonso. And it's, Mar- it's Amber. Because they kiss at the end. They do kiss. <laughs> that was so gross. Shouting oh, from the highest gross. steeple, let it out to all the people. This is kind of like the, yeah. the telecast breaking the revolution. It's like they live. Playing on the loudest speaker, burning like the highest fever, you hit the right spot. And here's the chorus. No more lonely nights with a restless heart. Roll the dice. Make a brand new start. Read the words and you got shattered. You and me were old and battered. Just one way I'm going to lose this restless heart. Running away with you. It's like, oh, it's like this song was written specifically for The Running Man. <laughs> it's, it's no question. <laughs> I, you had a great idea. It's like Sam's Fire was a huge hit. What's um, this Running Man property that's coming out? I remember now one more one-liner when, because uh, Richard Dawson is like a soda spokesman. Mm-hmm. And the soda is, I think the theme is it's like it hits the spot. <laughs> yeah. So then he shoots him through the billboard at the end and there's all this fire. And he goes, he goes like, you really hit the spot, Killian. Yeah, After you literally read it on the billboard. Yeah. <laughs> let me read it again. Let me. Do so, uh, Allison, are you sold on this? Are you gonna, do you want to watch Running Man based on our discussion? I've been watching it on my phone the whole time. Are you serious? <laughs> no. Oh. <laughs> um, no, I mean, I, it sounds, I like camp. Yeah, it's very. Oh, it, it is very campy. campy. It sounds like a the kind of movie where maybe you you just have a couple of drinks and sit back and talk through the whole thing. You have yeah, a bottle. You of can this talk. We're drinking it. right now. <laughs> the only thing is you'll miss, you'll miss the one liners, but otherwise you're okay. Oh, I'll put the closed captioning. on. Yeah, you gotta have the closed oh, captioning. That'd be on. Yeah, that'd be great. I will say that I haven't watched this movie in a long time, and I remember thinking it was garbage when I watched it when I was young, which is saying a lot. But what, rewatching it with Justin the other day, I, I, I had a great time. Well, let's go around and give our... I had a good time watching well, I'll, I'll, I'll just read a little bit. I was finding some articles people wrote this year uh, on the legacy of the Running Man movie. <laughs> the legacy. And uh, a lot of <laughs> interviews. Uh, so this is just like, there was a BBC piece. Uh, on the film's 30th anniversary in 2017, 
Oh, wait, no, this is from Wikipedia, but it was from the uh, BBC. Uh, the Running Man was cited by a BBC journalist as having made accurate predictions about life in 2017, including an economic collapse and offering an enduring critique of American television culture. Mm-hmm. And then uh, uh, the BBC wrote this uh, uh, from it, which I thought was interesting, this whole idea of how we desire villains, like we want to see villains burn. Mm-hmm. And they were kind of relating it to like social media shaming and stuff like that, which I thought was interesting. So uh, the, so they wrote, the regular spasms of viral outrage that punctuate social media suggest we're not much better. From Harambee the gorilla to Cecil the lion, many people seem to love a story with a villain to direct righteous anger towards. They might not want to see the people behind these stories killed, but don't seem to mind if their lives are ruined in the process. Like the audience of The Running Man, many feel justified in venting their indignation, and they are having too much fun to Ooh, stop it. Spooky. So, yeah. Uh, that's, from BB, that's from the BBC. BBC. Wow. And uh, uh, not BB-8. A little oh, robot. God. All right. Uh, nice. <laughs> but no, there's been a lot of interviews lately with Stephen D'Souza, the writer who is amazing and um, who's been talking about it. And, you know, and I, 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 to his credit, they're not trying to act like they were trying to make anything. Uh, him and Arnold both, like, because Arnold said in interviews too, he's like, even though he said he wanted the bigger themes to come out in other interviews, he was also just kind of like, hey, look, it's fantasy. You it's know? fun. Have a good time. Yeah. This is a world where there's no civil rights, you know? Well, you <laughs> so, know. It's like you can way too deep. I know. And then, um, but, but Stephen D'Souza was basically like, you know, he goes, I, I think it's really depressing that there are uh, some parallels. I mean, mainly in just the idea that literally we have like a game show host as, as somebody running the country. Um, and I think that's sort of the real thing that everybody's taken away. And also this idea of economic collapse, because, yeah. you know, we have seen a great deal of that. But uh, and then also how reality TV has gotten more and more intense over the years. And there have been, you know, like we're we're watching like Naked and Afraid now. I kind of love Naked and Afraid. <laughs> But also that show is very... Staged, isn't it, it though? Some of no, that? it's not staged. Um, I actually read a, a big interview with the guy who runs it, and he was very detailed about how they do it. But the thing is, like, I think what def- differentiates a show like that is where I think nobody's watching that show to watch people, like, die because they, you know, they, they bring in people who are survivalists. Like, that's what they do. They know how to live with no means, and it's all about watching, like, the methods by which they survive. So I think there's... it's Because I remember I didn't watch it at first because I'm like, it sounds like we're just watching this wanting to see people, like, in pain and get sick <clears> and get attacked by bugs. But it's more so about the way it's framed and the way that they really celebrate what these people do is it's about how they, uh, you know, the method that they use to persevere beyond these things because they're like trained in this way. Like human nature against mother. So how do they frame The Running Man to be something that we would be interested in? Well, I'd be more than happy to watch somebody getting killed on television. <laughs> <laughs> I'm kidding, I'm kidding, I'm kidding. There was apparently a reality show overseas where it was a similar thing like a guy was let loose and then uh people hunters were like chasing him but the goal wasn't to kill him it was just to capture him well if like the so. the, the twist in the finale was you know they're no, gonna murder no him. they will kill you so no that would be wild but yeah i mean i think that luckily were i mean as much as i think our our bloodlust manifest in terms of entertainment manifests uh in more um, I don't know. I don't think we're at a point where we want to see people killed. On no, 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 no. Uh, although there was, you know, I'm not going to go there. I, I just heard. want to see people slag on television. Hey, that's why we watch RuPaul's Drag Race. Um, so, any other thoughts on the Running Man movie? Do you want to give it a rating? Let's you start it off. Kick it off with the rating. The, the noses. Uh, I'm going to give it three and a half. Bright red, pretty wise clown noses. Wow, yeah. So it's, it's a fun, hey. it's a fun, dumb movie uh, that you can. It's nothing that you know is going to blow your mind, but it's a lot of fun. There's much worse things to put on when you're at a party, or if you're just bored at home, just uh, you know, sitting back with a cocktail. A cocktail. <laughs> what am I doing? Arnold's great. He's got so many awesome one-liners. You know, it really just harkens back to um, you know, 
when action movies were, I don't know, a lot of people would argue sort of a golden era of action movies, just, you know, when Arnold was kind of running things and the sense of not taking things too seriously, but also, you know, making uh, action movies that were as funny as they were thrilling, which some, we don't always get a lot these days. Uh, I feel like comedy and action is is struggling. I a feel little like bit. the Fast and Furious fran- franchise is trying to bring that back. They're trying to do it, and there are a lot of laughs in those. But I mean, now even we, this is dumber and more. I mean, fun, these though. are like uh, the ones in the eighties. I think. I think the real difference is that they were action comedies, and now we're getting like a lot of comedy action movies. Yeah, you know, like where the comedy comes first and foremost, and those are fun too. I like those, but I, you know, I think I, I really miss the um, like that's why I, I actually really liked a lot of the movies that Arnold made, kind of when he had this little comeback, like when he made Escape Plan with Stallone and. And the what was it? The Last Stand mm-hmm. um, with Johnny Knoxville. Like those were fun. Those because they didn't take themselves too seriously. They were really wild. They were really goofy, and um, you know, just good stuff. And where the action was kind of put first and foremost. So I don't know. I like this movie because it kind of harkens back to my childhood a little bit and kind of the movies that I was raised on. So uh, yeah, three and a half bright red Pennywise clown noses, Mac. I'm gonna give it three bright red Pennywise clown noses mm-hmm. because I watching it again. I I had a really good time watching it. Yeah. And it's not one of those movies that's like I, you can't even sit through. Like, I had to talk through the whole thing. No, like it's an entertaining watch. It is something to behold. It's it's ridiculous, but it's over the top in a way that is is entertaining to watch. Yeah. So I would suggest getting five, maybe maybe six of your close friends and watching this movie together. Uh, I just think it's 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 a good time. Um, you know, it, it's totally different from the book. But in a lot of ways that we felt like would make for a better movie, and I feel like it does succeed in that aspect. And having rewatched, uh, I'm sorry, watched a lot of adaptations recently for our piece, and those just being god awful, it made me actually really enjoy, you know, what they did with this movie, mm-hmm. even though it's still not that great. But yeah, um, yeah, pretty much what both of you said. I don't know if I feel like I've even explained a little bit more. It's just going to diminish how goofy and dumb the movie is. <laughs> it's just a dumb fun. I think it's maybe a hundred minutes. If even that, yeah, when it goes, I mean, when it starts, it starts. Yeah. There's really no lag time in the whole thing. It's just like the book that way. Like you said, Randall, there's a master of codes in it. Yeah. I love master of codes. I love whenever there's a master of codes and Schwarzenegger. This is peak Schwarzenegger yeah. era, peak yeah. era Schwarzenegger. I should say the one liners are tremendous. Richard Dawson, Richard great, Dawson, per- one of the most perfect, Stunt casting roles you'll ever see, and that's actually not hyperbole. It's a really good stunt casting. Yeah, is, is having him on this great song by John Parr, "Restless Heart." Can't say enough about <laughs> it. Uh, and if this episode does not end with that, I'll be very upset. Uh, let me see here. Actually, oh, before I say anything else, I do give it a three out of five. Wow, we all liked it more than the movie. I mean, more, more than, than the book. book. Yeah, Allison, um, uh, what would you give this based on what you've heard? Well, how about I go off of the trailer I watched? Okay, yes, there you go. And to be specific, this is the Xfinity Say the Running Man into your remote and see what trailer comes up edition. <laughs> um, and then I didn't sure it's rent the it only trailer I didn't have time that exists, probably. <laughs> um, but it is perfect. It is the most perfect trailer that ever existed. Um, and I give it five. <laughs> Bright red Pennywise Whoa. I think we it, need to write that on the board. Like it sounds like a three, but it the, is. It's but just, the trailer is is heaven itself. So that's amazing. It's like those trailers from hell on YouTube. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah. It, well, the it I'll fit be perfectly back is in that. the trailer, oh, so you know they were like, "No, seriously, <laughs> come on." You know, I have to bring this up again because you haven't seen the movie and you're giving it five. And recently, Randall gave a movie five stars. <laughs> 
and, oh, I'm ha- giving and he hadn't trailer seen it. Five. <laughs> yeah. I want okay, to be okay, specific. Okay. I'm giving and five noses, five. not five stars. Yeah, we are very excited to see 1922, which Randall gave five bright red Pennywise <laughs> clown noses to on the 20th of November at 7:35 p.m. Before having seen it, well before ever having seen it, <laughs> he's saying this is better than Shawshank. As good, I should say, as good as Shawshank, The Shining, and Carrie. So. That's we're really looking forward to seeing what Randall. It's written on the board, so there's no changing. We're it. really looking forward to seeing this movie that Randall <laughs> thinks is going to be amazing. So, Justin, did we get any uh, any? No any, response. No, I reached no out responses. to uh, Mel and Dan um, about the movie and book. To be fair, I remembered to text them about this 25 minutes ago. Yeah, there we go. <laughs> so they're probably busy on a beautiful Sunday. I think Dan probably today. gives the movie what four and a half stars. Do you think? Pennywise, Brightwood, Pennywise, Clown. Dan gives the Matt. book. Oh, oh I was for Dan. I know, I know. I'm sorry. Dan gives the book three and a half, and he gives the movie three and a half. <laughs> <laughs> so that's probably true. That's probably true. Um, well, that's our episode for today. Thank you guys so much for listening. Thank you guys so much for engaging with us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. If you don't follow us on those platforms, please do because we're always posting cool King news. We're always on the King beat, uh, posting the latest news, posting the funniest shit, the funniest memes. Uh, we got it all, baby. We're all Stephen King all the time. Uh, so and then so leave us uh, comments, all that kind of stuff. Send us messages. Also, hit us up on iTunes and leave us a review on there if you haven't yet. It really, really helps uh, the people help find the show and just you know makes us feel warm and fuzzy inside. And we read them all. So please do that. And um, anything else from you guys? I think we should start up that John Parr song immediately. Yeah, I think we need to get running out of here. So on that note, long days and. Some hot friends, God, I got some hot friends. I got some hot friends, God, I got some hot friends. But you know you want somebody to treat you good. Consequence Podcast Network.